Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, we proudly bring to you Mormonism Live! Shut up and sit down. Good morning. I mean, good evening, Bill. How are you doing? <laughs> yeah, good evening to you, my friend. Uh, 6.22 in the uh, evening now, just a few minutes after that afternoon ends and the evening starts. Yes, and then the morning starts after midnight. And so. comes again. It, it'll be here before we know it. I'm trying to think ahead here. Uh, what a great start to the one-year anniversary program. It was one year ago, Bill, on a night just like tonight. Yeah. We uh, we got 52 episodes behind us. This is episode number 53. So this is season two, episode one. <laughs> <laughs> and we are going to have a great time tonight. Now, I yeah. wore some special clothes. I got my most festive shirt that I could find. I've never worn it before on the show and rarely in public. But... Uh, if you want to, can, can everybody see this? I don't Let's, know. I want everybody no, to see it. Can. It's kind of a complicated thing that's going on here. Okay, over here, you've got your friendly neighborhood web slinger right there. Uh, okay, now hang on a second. I've got to move because someone's comment is up there in front of Spider-Man. So there's Spider-Man, right? And over here, who is he fighting against, Bill? That is Carnage, my friend. Cletus Cassidy. Exactly. Yeah. So this was Carnage before they had the movie that came out recently with Carnage and Venom. Once again, proving like the first Venom movie did that neither Venom nor Carnage are really anything without Spider-Man to fight against. Yeah, yeah, they, 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 it is the movie, of course, portrays it a little differently, right? Like Venom is a bad guy, but he does the right thing. He can be convinced to be nice and to do the right thing. Meanwhile, Carnage is a little more evil. Mm. That's because he's a freaking psychopathic killer. Yeah. But um, Venom, you see, Venom has a very highly refined sense of justice. The only problem is, is that he happens to hate Spider-Man's guts. Yeah, look, there you go. And uh, you all, everybody needs a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Yes, and that gets into the whole Eddie Brock saga, which we won't go into here. <laughs> so here we are. We are at the one-year anniversary. Folks, I just want to make note, not in the YouTube donations, but there was a donor a few weeks ago who actually dropped uh, $7,000 to put us over the $20,000 goal we had for this year to raise through YouTube. So I want to be upfront and transparent. We have reached that goal of 20,000, but if anybody out there wants to help us actually move that $14,000 number, we would love that. Um, this is the one year anniversary show. And so neither one of us is really in charge of tonight's episode. So I'm hoping that uh, we can figure out a way to, to, smoothly work from episode to episode but any thoughts before we start uh having a conversation about those 52 weeks behind us well it has been inc an incredible 52 weeks bill absolutely fantastic phenomenal in fact i went back to listen to a number of the episodes in preparation for tonight's episode yeah and i've got to be honest with you i thought we were good but when i listened to our material we are really really good 
Yeah, I, I am. I, I Same as you, by the way. I went back. I, I listened to uh, parts of two of them, but I just went through each episode and said, like, what was in my head? Like, what was the thing we were doing in that episode? And as we came across that list, I was deeply impressed with the kind of content we put out over the last year. I thought we made substantial discoveries that no one else had explored. I thought we helped people deconstruct various ideas. Um, I, I thought it was a wonderful year, and I think it'll be hard to top, but we're going to keep trying. Absolutely. And tonight, we just want to bask in our well-deserved glory. Yeah. So with that, why don't I put up on the screen here? Let me get to, let me get you back to uh, half the screen with me, and then uh, otherwise people are just going to see Carnage all night. So. I know, probably don't mind. I kind of like the idea of having an entire show with just me on the screen. <laughs> you, I thought that was a great idea. I'll let you know when next time I'm taking a vacation and you can just leave Streeter, <laughs> leave Jonathan Streeter off to the side and just do the show yourself. Maven can help you behind the scenes. Maven is here with us, by the way. And thank you, Maven, for all your help uh, in putting tonight's episode together as well as uh, contributing to the show generally. Well, remember um, that episode number one from a year ago, we were talking about the TITS videos. Yeah, in fact, I'm going to put that up on the screen, but I got to, I got to, I'll put this one up on the screen for right now. We'll talk about that maybe tonight, right? Uh, yeah, we probably better talk about it as soon as I mentioned the fact that I think the second one we talked about the Book of Abraham video from the TITS video. We did a yeah. couple episodes on it. Yeah. Um, it's a good thing we did because we didn't realize at the time last December that those videos were going to have such a short shelf life. Yeah, those tits videos, uh, T-I-T-S, this is the show, those disappeared kind of quickly, didn't they? They went tits up in March. <laughs> so our first episode. Um, we oh, my tackled, God. Look at those headphones on me. Who look is at that. that guy? I know. He looks like such a rank amateur. <laughs> I've got them on, too. So uh, we'll see. It looks, like you for some it, reason. it looks like I've lost a little bit of weight, don't you think? I think, yeah, you, you're losing it, and I'm putting it on. <laughs> no, I think you look great. So episode number one, we tackled This Is The Show. And if you remember, one of the highlights for me from this episode was that uh, you exposed uh, their approach to Jeremy Runnels about that. Yeah, be, be, car- be careful when you start a sentence with, on that episode, you exposed, and yeah. you have a long pause, okay? Yeah, yeah. I was getting worried here. It's the Jeremy Runnels, uh, the Ouija board reference, which was clearly just him making an analogy. And yes. and they jumped on that as if he was actually comparing um, it to a Ouija board, the, the peep stone. Yeah, he was comparing it to a Ouija board. But what they said was uh, that uh, Jeremy is so dumb. He said that Joseph Smith translated the Book of Mormon with a Ouija board. Yeah, yeah. They made it a real direct correlation instead of just being an analogy. So yeah. that was that was the first one. Um, and again, one thing we got to ask is listeners, viewers in the comments on YouTube and other places, wherever you're watching this, if you want to note to us what your favorite episodes were, um, and maybe even say in the comment, my favorite episode is this and other ones I liked were this, when we get to the end, we'd like to at least talk for a moment about what you, the viewer and the listeners, what, what your favorite episodes were. Um, but the, the second episode here, let's see if I can get. Uh, there's a little video here. This was so we tackled the this is the show, but as you're right, the second episode we tackled them again, but specifically with the Book of Abraham. And this was a moment from that episode I wanted to replay to remind people. I know those guys. And you notice that they switch. Oop, let's see here. Is that? 
Let me try something. That's not coming through the way I want it to. Okay, while you're doing that, I will yeah. make the observation that in the TITS videos, you will note that they are wearing their bulletproof vests under their clothes. Yeah, they they, they wear. That's right. Let me, um, hmm, I'm wondering why. I'm already having so much fun tonight. I'm glad you are. I'm wondering but, why. This is also uh, a one year of product placements for Diet Coke. I'm going to try something else. Share, share screen. Let's share the actual audio from that. If people, if hey, you're there, getting a oh, double. I think s- it's, if you want to just oh. refresh it and try it again, it should start at 1411. Oh, okay. Let me, that wasn't the issue. My issue, Maven, was that the sound, um, sound was coming through my speaker rather than going through the roadcaster. Was, were you guys hearing it clearly? It sounded kind of tinny. Yeah. Let's try this again. And uh, we'll see what happens here. And you notice that they switch in their discussion to talking about an article that Kevin Matthew wrote and then to triumphantly proclaiming, oh, guess what? He's not even an Egyptologist. Well, of course, the fact is nobody claimed he was an Egyptologist. And this is what kind of logical fallacy, Bill Real? Uh, This is a ad hominem. Yes, mixed with. Uh, you tell me. It's straw man. Straw I don't man. Know. Yeah. Straw man. This is a, this is a combination. It's an ad straw man. So <laughs> so, uh, I want to stop there. If you came up with the cool combination of a, uh, of a straw man and an ad hominem, an ad straw man, and I ended up putting that in the title of the show, and I thought that was hilarious, by the way. And you're 100% right. Like, these guys get oh, exposed see. again. I love it. I, the li- thing I like the most about it, by the way, that is a Radio Free Mormon original, as far as I'm aware. The thing that I like best about this show is making you laugh. <laughs> and and you do on a weekly basis, my friend. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Right. So this was a great thing that happened. We're talking about um, some of the fallacies that they were promoting in their TITS video, which may or may not have had something to do with their being taken down in March, although I think it had to do with complaints, by the way, they were receiving lots of complaints at FAIR. We talked about those and showed some of them together with their stock answer, which was, hey, this isn't for everybody, but the kids love it. So I think what happened is they got some complaints from some well-placed individuals whose complaints they could no longer ignore. Right, right. Um, all right. So with that, the the Let's, next one here. And you notice that they switched in their uh, discussion. Let's try this. We tackled I know this, this guy. guy. Yeah, <laughs> that guy, that's Keith Erickson. This guy is doing the circuit tour for the church right now. Terrell Givens, I think, has been put on the bench. Fiona's been let go from the team. And now it is Lloyd Erickson. Uh, is that not Lloyd? Is it um, Keith? Keith, sorry, you're right. Keith Erickson. That's okay. No offense yeah, to Fiona Lloyd got sent to the showers. Like, yeah, yeah. So Keith Erickson, who was the uh, director of the church history uh, library. Right. Right. And he goes around and he's an expert on hoaxes. Yeah, that was the next episode. So we had him for that one. Um, So he's Elder Oak's favorite apologist. Yeah. And this is the guy now. So he's a hoax expert. We did uh, talked about him. An elder hoax expert. Elder hoax expert. And we talked about him in episode seven. And then in episode eight, we revisited him and we talked about him being this expert of hoaxes. And he lays out all the ways in which you discern a hoax from reality. And if he would apply the church to the same standards that he has for the hoaxes that he actually is willing to question and criticize, he would have to deconstruct Mormonism. 
Yeah, he's got two pieces of radioactive material, one in each side of his brain and a lead sheet in between. And God help us when somebody removes that lead sheet. <laughs> Critical mass will be achieved. His head will explode. Yeah. And I've listened to he's, you know, again, he's done multiple presentations to various wards and stakes. And as I've listened to that uh, on several occasions, he makes a lot of fallacy arguments as well. And I'm not really sure I want this guy being the key witness on hoaxes. I think he's the best you've got. I mean, imagine, imagine if you've got a guy who promotes himself as an expert on hoaxes going around and answering questions about Mormonism. What could be better? Yeah, what could, what could be better? Well, what could be better was the next one we did, um, episode, I believe, number nine. I should probably have a list somewhere up of, uh, of our stuff. But uh, your thoughts on we investigated Elder Bednar talking about miracles with the temple mm. being uh, uh, able to be operated right at the beginning of the pandemic. And then we had Wendy Nelson telling us about President Nelson's cancellation of an arena. Right. I remember that every time I see this picture of Wendy Nelson, I think of a Beach Boy song. Okay, Wendy, which, which one is that? Well, go, Wendy, what went wrong? Wendy, what went wrong? Yeah. You know how it goes. Wendy, Wendy, what went wrong? What went wrong? You can do the backup if you want, Bill. <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's, that's about it, too. <laughs> so I think she's going to be sad when President Nelson dies. We mentioned this, but she'll... Uh, She'll be out of the picture because the next guy in office isn't going to have her keep giving talks. I know, but she and Sherry do will be able to take a cottage by the road together at last. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You've got a fascination with Sherry Do, And, well, maybe so does Doesn't everybody? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, there's that one. Um, I thought that was interesting because we exposed those two miracles as almost assuredly one of them not happening and the other one just flat out not really being much of a miracle. <laughs> I know we kept, we kept the, we kept the temple open until it was November 13th. It was Friday, the 13th of November of 2019, if memory serves at midnight when they finally had to shut that temple down until then it was super spreader events are us. Yeah. And remember president Nelson canceled that arena before the actual pandemic hit out of revelation, which probably meant he lost his deposit. <laughs> right. And that's what she was talking about. This is a great miracle <laughs> because he knew this was coming. So he canceled all the arenas that they had speaking engagements for in the coming year. Unfortunately, he didn't pass the word along to anybody else. So maybe we could do something about it in advance, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of interesting. The revelation is never that a pandemic's coming. It's only to cancel all the arenas, which doesn't make any logical sense when you examine it. Not a bit. All right. Then uh, this was the face-to-face -face with Elder Oaks and Elder Ballard. We were talking about that. Let me look up here. Because on number, uh, I think it's number 11, this was the rules of the game. Do you remember what the rules of the game were? Well, if you'll hang on just a second. Yes, because I came up with the rules of the game. Yeah, you invented these. And when I say came up with them, I mean, I was able to synopsize the rules of the game by which church leaders play. Did you see how I did that so grammatically correct and everything? I, I love it. The, you slowed down. And, you <laughs> and I was trying to find them. So rule number one, are you ready for this? Yeah. This is church leaders rule book, five <laughs> rules of the game. Rule number one, we are going to hide stuff from you. And if you don't like stuff, you can put in any word you like in that place. <laughs> Rule number one, we are going to hide stuff from you. Rule mm -hmm. number two, we are going to try to keep you 
from finding the stuff we are hiding from you. Rule number three, we will lie about hiding stuff from you. In other words, we'll say we didn't hide it. Rule number four, you can't blame us for hiding stuff from you. And what that means is once you find out that we've been hiding stuff from you, it's going to be somebody else's fault, like, I don't know, church artists. It's wrong to criticize leaders of the church, even if the criticism is true. That's one of the ways they keep you from talking about them hiding things. That is a really good point. By the way, I want to I want to pursue this, okay? Can you remember this point before I get to rule number five? Okay, what, what point? you just played? about criticizing leaders of the church. Okay, rule number five is, if you talk about the things we are hiding from you, we will hide you. Yeah. Uh, Those are the yeah. rules of the game. And if you go back and listen to that, if you have any questions or haven't listened to it before, we give examples of each one of those rules to show and demonstrate that this is exactly, these are exactly the rules of the game that are used by the leaders of the church. About that uh, quote now from Elder, Elder Oaks. Oaks about uh, it's wrong to criticize leaders of the church, even if the criticism is true. It seems like everybody and their dog who attended the debate in November knew that quote, except for Cardinalis. So, the, <laughs> but, but that wasn't even the point I was going to make. Um, I'll never forget that. That got the biggest laugh of the night when Cardin was saying, I don't know where you're getting this stuff about church leaders, not being able to criticize leaders of the church. That yeah. was the biggest laugh line of the night. That, that was intentional. That and there were a lot of them, and that was definitely one of the better ones. Um, oh, yeah. He, he didn't seem to know that that was a rule that was out there. Well, just before the show, I was talking with a friend of mine who now I have permission to use his name, Randall Bell, Randy Bell. Yeah. Not I don't know how many of you might know him, but he's a, he's a great, great guy, a dear friend. And he brought up this point that I'm not sure I had thought of, that when Elder Oaks is talking about, you know, it's wrong to criticize leaders of the church. Well, the funny thing is, if you read the New Testament, and the gospel accounts of Jesus's ministry, it seems like that's what he spent a lot of his time doing was criticizing leaders of his church. Yes. Um, that is something that seems to be prevalent inside this system for sure, is that there are people who are frustrated, they speak out, and then they get stored away somewhere. Yeah, if you ask the question, what would Jesus do? The answer is criticize the leaders of the church. Yeah, Jesus, yeah, it seems to be the only people he's really attacking on a regular basis. They are the only ones that he excoriates frequently. And everybody else he's very accepting of, he's very tolerant of, he's very giving toward, uh, very uh, forgiving, if I, I said giving and forgiving. But when it comes to the leaders of the church, those who are setting themselves up as the authorities for God, who are using their positions of power, in order to grind upon the faces of the poor and abuse that authority by marginalizing the uh, poor or different members of their society, the ones that Jesus reached out to, that's what really, really hacked Jesus off. Yeah. Yeah. He got frustrated with the people in his system who were in authority, who were abusing him. Absolutely. Yes. Um, all right. So the next one here, uh, this was one where we tackled a, a church video. It was a short church video about how can it not be true? Do you remember that? Well, I do because there was this little, uh, very quick video that the church put up with a lot of um, video in it and not much in the way of graphics as far as um, writing. But uh, yeah, you remember it and you remember this better than I did. Yeah. In fact, one of the things that uh, I really liked this episode, I really enjoyed it because it was really easy to take this short video and what I thought was really cool, I went back to see how it was doing. 
And if you look up now, how can it not be true? Uh, our So the church's video is actually lower than ours in the search results, number one. And notice that they've got uh, about 3,000 views, it looks like. And so their little video by a multi-billion dollar corporation has 3,000 views. And above it, because we're higher in the rankings than they are, is our expose on their short little video, which has 10,000 views. I got to believe if we keep up this kind of work, they're going to stop making videos. That has got to be really, really upsetting somebody. Because if I'm understanding you correctly, the church puts out their video and how can it not be true? It's got 3,000 views so far. We did a uh, an episode uh, sort of dismantling that particular video and we have 10,000 views. 10,000 views eight months ago, 3,000 views is what they have one year ago. Um, we're not doing them any favors. <laughs> yeah, and you can tell that this original video was put out by the church because it has a little Jesus in a bathtub logo right there. Look at that. Can Jesus you see it? In a bathtub. Look at that. The Church of Jesus Christ, but it is their Europe uh, YouTube channel. Oh, well, maybe that's why. Maybe it's just Europe. Yeah, I maybe, but it's it was in English. So, Well, I, I suppose that only people in Europe can access YouTube on this channel. <laughs> there you go. Yes, uh, well, we accessed it. No problem. You're, you remember what Elmo says about the, the new church logo? T- you, you talking about Sesame Street's Elmo? Yeah, yeah. Tickle me, Elmo, Elmo. My name is Elmo. Tickle That's... me, Elmo. Yeah. What, you, uh... do, you should do You should say Elmo loves the logos logo. Elmo loves the logos. I don't. What's the other word? Logo. <laughs> well, I said logo. What was the other thing you said? No, you know, the logos logo. The because logos, logos is, logo. of course, the Greek for the word, which is Jesus. So Elmo loves the logos logo. Yeah, See, so, uh, I can't do it as well you, as you. You did. I thought you did better than me. Well, thank you. I'll we be should auditioning start for the Viennese Boys Choir next week. <laughs> so uh, we did that one. Uh, this one here. What was this one about RFM? Do you remember? I know all those guys. <laughs> I do. I know them all. Yeah. And one of them is, is uh, a man with the last name. It's Mark Hoffman, two Fs, one N. Mark Hoffman uh, in Eldon Tanner. I'm going left to right just for those who are watching. Spencer W. Kimball, who was president of the church at the time. Then there's Marion G. Romney as counselor. Lurking in the background is Boyd K. Packer. And then immediately to uh, the far right is, of course, Gordon B. Hinckley, who was effectively running the church at the time. Yeah, Gordon B. Hinckley. Yeah, it was a a first presidency that wasn't all in good health. No. And uh, President Hinckley, if I remember right, was serving as a fourth counselor at one point to... Those he leaders might have been. eventually were right. the first presidency. Yeah. And effectively, he was running the church for quite a long time before he became the president. So he had a lot yeah. of training. Yes, he did. This was uh, episode number 15, Tales of Hoffman. You did a beautiful job on the front end telling us about uh, Hoffman and the events that happened with him. And then I came in kind of in the last few minutes and shared a bunch of artifacts that uh, our pawn shop and our owner had accumulated by the way a little interesting story and you can vouch for this by the way and i won't drop names i won't but a a certain individual who works for the church uh reached out to me and we should uh, not mention we should not mention his name right no we won't mention his name okay okay so I, i plan not to do that but this uh, person who works for the church, it's a name that everyone would recognize. <laughs> Daniel Peterson. No, it, was, it wasn't. And uh, <laughs> this person reached out and wanted to look at our Hoffman stuff and then came in the next day and looked through all of our Hoffman things. And I had the chance to ask him a lot of questions about uh, 
church history and his work with the church. And uh, let me just say, I was very tickled by the answers that he gave. And you can vouch that this person did show up at our pawn shop, correct? Well, I know that you took a surreptitious little photo of him or her (laughs) and then texted it to me with the name saying, guess who's at the pawn shop looking at the Hoffman stuff. Yeah, but we won't drop his name. yes, I can vouch for it. Yeah, I I try to, you know, I want to entertain the audience, but I try to do a good job of uh, when people ask me, by the way, this person asked me, uh, when people ask me not to share these kinds of details in terms of who they are, I keep that back. But yes, he did stop in and and he was somewhat forthright. And uh, I very much uh, agree. What do you mean agreed. by forthright? He, he, he answered my questions and I was happy with his answers about uh, how he felt about things and, and how how true the church might be, you know, those kinds of things. So, so you think that this person might be a closet doubter? Hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. We'll move on. I never would have thought that about Dan Peterson. No, it, yeah, it, it wasn't Dan. He was a little, this guy was a little smaller. <laughs> well, aren't we all? Yeah. No, that was rude. That was, that was, unco- that was uncalled okay. for. That, okay. I apologize that, right there. Right, yeah. So here's There'll the next no one. Krispy Kreme donut jokes on this show. Yeah, no, that's right. This one is the. Um, Miner's Hill. Miner's Hill. It was, it was Peak Stones, Sheep's Bones. And golden and thrones. gold thrones all on Miner's Hill. And what interests me too, there were just tons of history in this one about Joseph Smith's treasure digging. But one of the cool things was that people thought I made an error saying peak stone instead of peep stone. But there are actually um, at least two sources that record Joseph Smith as having used a peak stone rather than a peep stone. And so uh, this was a fun one because these two guys did the dig on the hill and uh, we had a chance to talk about some of the things that were left behind in those excavations or left behind by the Smith family when they were util- utilizing them, including sheep bones. Uh, we had some animal sacrifices, if you remember. Uh, a lot of interesting stuff there in that early treasure digging. Uh, anything stands out about this episode to you? Well, that's one of the few, the handful that I was able to go back and re-listen to. I had put out uh, smoke signals to a lot of Uh, people that I know who listened to the show and asked them what they liked. And some of them were kind enough to respond. And so I took that and used that in order to pick which ones I would go back and re-listen to since they seemed to like them. And this, this is one of my favorites because one of the the things that I enjoy is when you pick some kind of subject and I think, what on earth is this about that Bill is going into? And then I start going into it myself, usually with the research you've done and supplied to me by links. Thank you very much, Bill Real. You're welcome. And uh, I'm just blown away that that you know all this stuff and that we get to talk about it. And I get to learn more stuff about Mormon history. That's the thing I like about it. Yeah, it is. It's fun to work with you because the same thing happens. You you know things that are my blind spots. And maybe I know a few things that are your blind spots. But as we do these episodes, you'll pick a topic and then I'll go off and read the stuff you supply and I'll find things out that I didn't know. And you go do the same. And uh, at the end of the, you know, 52 weeks later, you and I have both learned some new things about Mormonism after decades of trying to know it all. That's true. I don't, I think it's a bottomless well is what I've contended (laughs) myself to believe. And I go back and I listen to stuff and some of it I remember, most of it I remember, but then there's things I forgot. And it's like, I'm relearning this again. I'm going, wow, this is amazing. And it makes me think about you, Bill, that, the, the old saying is true that you have forgotten more about Mormonism than most Mormons have ever learned. Yeah, and you've forgotten even more and still have things 
I remembered for, even. Wait, better. I give you a compliment and now you slam me and I've forgotten no. even more. No, no, no. I, that's a compliment back. <laughs> that's a compliment back. You, I, whenever people ask, I, I say, look, man, I, I think I could hold my own in a room with scholars and historians if we're talking about a topic in Mormonism. And I think one of the hold key your, things that, that's really cool, what, Bill? Uh, just hold my own, just, you know, hold, build a, just hold my own in a room and be able to uh, talk about any subject in Mormonism and not, okay. nobody would recognize that I'm the amateur in the room. Oh, no, um, no. But you're even better than that. Like you, like when I listened to you with Robert Rittner and John DeLynn, you were so crucial to that conversation. Um, you bridged uh, John DeLynn wanting to point to Mormonism and Rittner wanting to point to Egyptology. And you connected those two so well. And I could never have done that. Could never have done that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's fun to know all these things. And I think the thing that makes you and I unique is that our understanding and knowledge of Mormonism covers all of it collectively. We don't have an expertise in any one area. We really know the collective mess, all of it. Yeah. Minus the things we're going to discover in the next five years. Exactly. And there's always going to be more to discover. By the way, thank you very much for that compliment. I was very honored to be part of that interview with Robert Rittner. I felt like I was the annoying kid in the back of the class who kept uh, raising his hand like Arnold Horshack. You were crucial. Ooh, crucial. I like that. By the way, something was funny that happened in some of the, the, the stuff we were doing before the podcast starts going, the, the prep with John DeLynn and Robert Rittner and me, and they're trying to figure out stuff. And I'm talking to um, Robert. And um, I remember I told him once, uh, I said, you know, everything I learned about Egyptology, I learned from the book of Abraham. <laughs> and it's kind of true, isn't it? Yeah, that was the way. And he goes, oh my gosh, well, I, I feel sorry for you. And I said, yeah, that's kind of like saying everything I learned about English history, I learned from Shakespeare. Yeah, there you go. Well, that's, that sounds better. It does. Of course, the, the joke being that Shakespeare's version of history is notoriously not really consonant with what we understand today to have been English history. Yeah, both, both authors were storytellers. Mm, yeah, mm. some better than others. Yeah, so the next one, you'll remember this guy. He looks familiar. <clears throat> Wait a second. Yeah, I do know him. Yeah. That's Kwaku. That's, that's, that's Kwaku. my friend, Kwaku L. Yeah, you and I sat down with Kwaku. You arranged an interview uh, any thoughts on this episode? I think he's related to Superman in some way. Because, you know, there's Jor L and Carl L. You know that, right? You yeah, had the Superman then, t-shirt on on before the show, and then you went and changed it because it was wrinkled. It was too wrinkled, and you told me that's what happens when you wear DC material. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Because, yeah. of course, I have the Marvel. Yeah, Jor L, Carl L. You remember Carl L? That's Superman's real name on planet Krypton. Jor L yeah. is that, but they have the there's, dash and the L. So it's like... Kwaku L must be related in some way. Yeah, he's he's super in his own way, isn't he? Yes, he is. I'm yes, a big fan. Is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to, let's see here. Maven, I just saw you come on. Is you have a, a thought? Okay, I just wanted to share that I have the text. They're just at the end of the slideshow. Um, yep. If you want to getting... pull those up. Okay, yeah, so I, I want to do a ready. teaser right now since we've uh, mentioned this, okay? I have some hitherto unrevealed text messages between myself and Kwaku L, which I think the audience will find very interesting to learn what was going on behind the scenes back in April of this year. Yeah, and we probably ought to at least uh, explain kind of what happened. I'm going to, oops, I don't, right here. So let me put this up. So Kwaku came onto our show, and if you remember right, he had an announcement 
right around the exact same time where he was going to officially apologize. Right. And I can give you the dates on those when you're ready. Yeah, please tell us, tell us when our episode hit. uh, And then when the, 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 a fake apology thing, and then uh, what followed up behind that. And I've got the stuff ready. Oh, great. So, so this is going to be a lot of fun for all of us, I think. Yeah. There were three episodes that happened in April, which were critical, which are critical to understanding this. Um, And when I say episodes, I mean episodes of our show. And of course, they're a week apart, each one of them. The first one was on April 14th, 2021. That was our interview with Kwaku L, where I thought he was treated respectfully, though apparently he now disagrees with that assessment. But April 14th, a week later. Okay, hang on. April 14th. Well, on April 21st, a week later, we did a show called Kwaku's Bait and Switch. Okay. And it was about something else, but we also covered Kwaku's Bait and Switch. And... The reason we called it that was because the Sunday before the intervening Sunday between April 14th and April 21st, that was when Kwaku had done his, uh, what was promoted as a podcast. It was going to be that Sunday evening at the same time as Natasha's um, excommunication proceeding, right? Mm -hmm. So that was on that Sunday evening. So that would have been what, April 14th, uh, 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th. April 18th was his show. And that's the one where he promoted it, had the thumbnail saying an apology to John DeLynn. And then at the last second, because I was watching at the last second, he switches out the thumbnail and puts the end, like the end of John DeLynn with a picture of him, you know, crying or something. Yeah. And that's when he did his big reaming of John DeLynn or his attempted reaming of John DeLynn with whole rosebud thing. Right. Yeah, and I've, so, like, I've got that up on the screen. I think K- oh, Kelly's in the background see. crying and John's in the middle. And then you've got some document in the corner. And then you've got uh, a rose in the bottom right-hand corner. There is a rose, isn't there? How clever. He's a clever young man. I think he'll go far. Yeah. The rose being, of course, a symbol for rose bud. Oh. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's what he switched it out to. By the way, we also have a picture of what it looked like before he switched it out, which I sent in. Do you have that Maven so we can see what it was right before he switched it out? Bada bing, bada bang, Betty Boop. So here's the thing on the left. Where it was a Stone 16 podcast. You've got a picture of Quaku saying, making things right. My apology to John DeLynn. And then in the middle, this is where he wrote above it saying, this is part of the promo. I suppose there comes a time when everyone has to take responsibility for what they've done. So I decided to come clean and repent and address some important realities about future church membership. That's how it was promoted at the last second on that Sunday, which I think we said was April 18th. Yeah, He switches it out to something else. And that's where I put on there, really hoping this is sincere, but it wasn't. I did a podcast. Uh, it wasn't. Oh, oh, sorry. No, no, let me go back. Yeah, I did a podcast called Quaku the Deceiver two years ago. It's not always fun to be a prophet. And you were again, weren't you? Yeah. You know, some have greatness thrust upon them. I don't even try for this stuff. It just comes to me. Yeah. it's When you understand the modus operandi of apologist and the church, it doesn't, it's not too difficult to figure out kind of ahead most of the time what they're going to do or what their next move is going to be. Right. And so there you've got. Um, By the way, by the time I put that on there, I think that's from my Facebook page where I took that screenshot on the left and put it up there. That's why it doesn't have the the newly switched out thumbnail on it when I'm making the comment. It was April 18th. We can see that on the the thumbnail, below the thumbnail originally. So 
That happens on April 18th. And if we can go back to um, that, okay, then he switches it out. So then the following Wednesday on our show, which is now the 21st of April, mm -hmm. we talked about how it was that Kwaku did this bait and switch. And it probably yeah. wasn't too complimentary. I can't remember everything I said. Yeah. But and we covered Natasha Helfer's ex, uh, excommunication court, you know, as well, and talked about that. Yes, exactly. And I don't want to overlook that, but uh, mm -hmm. I'm just trying to keep the timeline straight totally. on, this, on this Kwaku stuff because tr I'm trying to set the scene for uh, the text messages. Now, the text messages happen the very night that we are doing Kwaku's bait and switch. Okay. But what Kwaku doesn't know is that we are busy assembling evidence and witnesses to do a very, very important show the next Wednesday on April 28th. Well, hang on. It's maybe 7th. Well, it was whatever it was. April 21st, April 27th is what I have. Up April here. 28th is when it's 28th. Yeah. 20 is when it streamed. Yeah. So it's streamed on April 28th. Okay. I had that wrong. So that makes sense because now we're, they're all seven days apart, which they should be since they're yep. sequential Wednesdays. Mm -hmm. Okay. So he doesn't know what's coming, right? But I have an idea because I'm doing the research and talking to different witnesses. So now that you understand that, okay, and hopefully this will be clear. If we go back to the first text message, now I want you to understand that you and I are doing the show on Quaku's Bait and Switch on April 21st, 2021. And what I don't know is that while we're doing the show, Quaku, who is apparently watching the show, texts me. And I don't get his text until, well, after the show's over, obviously. I have to try and focus somewhat on what we're doing here. And let's see here if we've got the first text message. Um, is it possible just to put up one at a time? Uh, I don't have a way to do that. If you don't, that's okay. But it does, it does go from left to right, I believe. Okay, nobody look ahead. Okay, don't do okay, that, just guys. Put, just put your hand up on the screen like this or something, okay? Yeah. All right. So um, I tell you what, uh, Bill, could you read for Kwaku and I'll read for me? I will do that. So I go first. Yes. And so this was at 5.55 p.m. And we're doing the show because it's my time. And we start yeah. at 5.20 p.m. my time. Okay. Right. Hey, man, I'm a little confused as to how you guys think that I betrayed your trust on the show by releasing the Delin video. You guys, or at least you, knew the video was coming, and it doesn't mention either you or Bill. How does uh, criticism of John be taken as criticism of you, especially if you are not peas in a pod? Boom. So there's the, the text that I see uh, minutes after we've shut down after that Wednesday show on the 21st about Quaku's bait and switch. So then I saw it. So it's 7.01 p.m., which is right after the show was over that night. Yeah. I texted him back and I said, I will call you to talk tomorrow if you are okay with that. I tried to be careful with my words to say that I didn't know if you were trying to leverage our show to get our viewers, but to the extent you were, it was not good, which is what I said. And then I thought about it a little bit more overnight. So I thought maybe that response wasn't direct enough. So then the following morning, so this would be uh, what, the 22nd of April? Thursday. The morning, yes, the morning after the podcast. 6.28 a.m., I texted Kwaku again, and I said, you didn't betray my trust by putting up the Delin video. You betrayed my trust by promoting it as an apology to John Delin. I believed you were sincere. I trusted you to do what you said. I promoted it on my Facebook page. 
Others told me I was a fool to believe you, but I stood up for you and told them to give you a chance that maybe you were really going to do what you said and apologize. Then you did the bait and switch at the last moment. That was when you betrayed my trust. You seriously couldn't have really been offended by that. By the way, this is this is Bill doing Quaku again. Yeah. So you're making it sound so much like Christopher Walken, would you? Yeah, I I could do that voice. You seriously couldn't have really been offended by that. That happens on YouTube all the time. It's actually a commonly used meme. I don't have anything to apologize to him for. By the way, Quaku never has anything to apologize for ever. No, he's got a lot in common with Elder Oaks. Yeah, I don't have anything to apologize to him for, and he has a ton of answering to do. By and large, it sort of seems like the ex-Mormon figures are doing all they can to make this not about Rosebud, but instead about unkind YouTube optics. When neither one of our sides has the moral ground on saying nice things to each other, in the meantime, Rosebud is coming out of hiding, and and the ex-Mormon figureheads are trying to change the narrative. And now we have to drop another video just to keep it on track. Keep, I think that I'm might have been keep it, it on. Yep. Yeah. Keep it on track. It just seems fishy to me. Why not ask the same questions I'm asking? John, did you really do this? Instead of, it's mean for Quaco to ask. Right. By the way, do you have any comments about the the um, the responses, either from Quaku or me so far? No, I, I think Quaku has a lifetime pattern, at least as long as I've known him of not being honest. He wasn't honest when I caught him being Dave Schmidt. Um, he wasn't accountable when he was criticized for exposing large numbers of people to COVID in close up environments. Um, he just isn't the kind of guy who's accountable. And so when he makes mistakes, we've all learned to just realize that he's not, he's going to dismiss and deflect and obfuscate in the same way that the religion he belongs to does. Right. And, and Le- Leanne, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Leanne or Leanne Penrod just gave a great comment. Don't forget to, don't forget to give the thumbs up. Please hit like on YouTube right now. Go ahead. Move your cursor over there. I know you're enthralled with what we're saying, but we'll give you a couple seconds. Move that cursor over. Please hit the like button. And also please subscribe. Please subscribe. We are, we're at about four and a half thousand, I think. And uh, we'd love to just keep growing the channel and uh, keep exposing people to the deconstruction of Mormonism. Yes, and it's driving me crazy that Nemo has more subscribers right now than we do. He does. Across the pond, he's nailing it. (laughs) Good job, Nemo. I think it's the mustache. That's what's doing it. That's the new thing he's added, huh? (laughs) Uh, Maven, I see your window there. Did you have a comment to make? Yes. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I wanted to jump in on this one. A little bit because this was uh, one that I was I really appreciated because, I mean, obviously inside the church, there's all kinds of improprieties that go on, and so you know coming out of it and it I guess John Delin is just I mean everybody knows him he's been really big in the community and so when I first heard about these accusations they were a little bit troubling to me especially because I mean they were wild and they included things like like you know starting polygamous offshoots or whatever and so it was troubling to me just to kind of wonder uh, what really went on and is this still like just as much of a problem here as over there and it was really difficult to find information so it was something I just wasn't really sure what to do with. And so I was really, um, I mean, I did the research that I could do, but you guys obviously had a lot more and you brought in guests on the show from the board who were there. I just really appreciated getting the full story 
and instead of just kind of having to try to decipher rumors. Yeah. And, and I'll add like this issue was a little messy and John will be the first to tell you that he, he made some mistakes, but the way it was posed didn't seem to mesh very well with the evidence. Did it RFM? Well, no. And that was one of the things that I was so excited about because number one, it deals with Mormonism, current Mormon issues. Number two, it plays into my uh, love of, well, being an attorney and evidence and documents and witnesses and being able to uh, talk about things from people who were there, who know and look at the documents. And they had not revealed at any time before this, at least in any public setting, these email or text message exchanges between Rosebud, and I'll continue to use her nom de guerre or nom de plume, whichever she prefers for purposes of this podcast right now. Okay. But they had never revealed, the board had never revealed those before. And the reason why is because they wanted Rosebud to move on. And they felt if they bring it up, it's going to be too hurtful to her. And if we just ignore her, maybe she'll just go away. But it had been 10 years before this, that this originally happened, that these allegations were made. And so she kept coming back like a bad penny. She kept turning up. And then finally, earlier this year, with the help of Kwaku and Kate Kelly, she comes back for another round with um, some other winged monkey helpers. And then what happens is they finally said, okay, look, it's been 10 years. She's obviously not going away. We need to release this to the public so that everybody can know that what she's saying is contradicted by the physical evidence. Yeah. And if I remember right, the smoking gun was a set of text messages between John and Rosebud where on the very day she's claiming that John is essentially stalking her, Mm -hmm. all of the text messages indicate the opposite. Exactly the opposite. And they were actually tied down on the dates of the text messages versus a date that she said in a complaint that she had made. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So I think there's oh, still a few this. more I'm texts. I'm so sorry. Yeah. No, you're that good. Was, that was quite a segue. Anyway, thank you, Maven. Thank you very much for that. Uh, we didn't quite get to the last one, though. Yeah, we've got a few more to go. I've been talking so, so much. Yeah. So Kwaku said, we are holding Oh, no, every- no, 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 no. I'm sorry. I meant if we can go back to the, the, the last screen because we didn't oh, get to the last comment. Gotcha. Please go ahead. And this is my line, so please don't step on it. <laughs> it says, so uh, you had just read what, um, instead of it's all mean for, it's mean for Kwaku to ask, right? Yeah. Why, so why I said. Not, yeah, he's basically saying like, why not ask John these hard questions? Right, right. Yeah. Um, so I said, I am currently researching that very issue. Remember, I'm getting ready for the next week's episode. Mm. I am currently researching that very issue. And I didn't say I was offended by that. I said I was disappointed. Just like I said in your YouTube, oh, I said two tube, but it should be YouTube. Just like I said in your YouTube comments, which you scrubbed. Because remember that that comment that I made and I had taken a picture of and then we just showed it? Yeah. Yeah, that got deleted, which you scrubbed. Okay, now his response. And, and you, just Maven. note too, I yeah. mean, th- these guys are, you know, we get on all of our material pretty much across the board, including by the way, backyard professor, Rami Umptum ruminations, the other stuff that's on their marriage on a tightrope. We get uh, even the, the low voted videos get about an 80% likes. And most of our videos, including Mormonism live gets about 96 to 98% upvotes. And yet 
Kwaku and, and Midnight Mormons and the other organizations that he's podcasted or done YouTube videos for, um, they often turn the likes off and they often remove comments and they really don't want a transparent conversation going on. Uh, and they don't really want to leave it up for their audience to upvote or downvote soon as they start to see that getting skewed too far to the negative. That's um, true. They started that, doing that with the TITS videos with Fair Mormon, yeah. and they've continued that. Yeah. Oh, this we get a, now true. we get another one. This is from 541 p.m. I think this is on the Thursday still. Yeah. And you get to read for Quaku. We are holding every comment for review to prevent people trying to change the narrative. It's important. It's all just like the <laughs> to change the narrative. Do you mean to insert opinions? My opinion that I'm disappointed in him for his bait and switch. Yeah, these guys have a history of deleting and removing comments, turning off the up and down votes on their videos. Um, I don't know what they're afraid of, but then they also, again, noted by this, they also then uh, make it sound as though they are holding these comments for the right reasons. But I'm curious, did that? Did those comments ever get published? I don't know that I've yeah. been back there to see. Yeah. I suppose if somebody wanted to, they could go back and see if it, it got published. I, I don't know. All I knew yeah. is that it had been scrubbed at that point. Yeah. All right. Because I made the comment yeah. and it went up. Yeah. And, and then, then it, it came back. Out. Yeah. I came back a day or two later and it wasn't there. So that's they, what you scrubbed. They couldn't just leave it up there to keep the record straight. They had to remove it or delete it to hold on to it, to keep the record straight. Yes. Uh, pending review. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Make sure make sure I didn't change the narrative. Mm, Very gotcha. important. Oh, and then I've, I'm I'm getting these these text messages, right? The Rosebud Delin text messages, yeah. and I figure I'll just drop a little teaser mm. for uh, for Quaku just to drive him marginally nuts. Yeah. So I write made a very important discovery today while reviewing documents, and he question marks it, so you can see he is interested. There's some curiosity, huh? Much to my delight, you will never know how much I chuckled over that question mark. Yeah, and he and he responds. By the way, this subject is heating up. This was just dropped by someone. The longer you and Bill stay neutral, the worse it could look. I say that in a way to benefit you. Yeah. So this is where Quake is doing his Godfather impression and basically saying you guys should not stay neutral on this. I mean, he doesn't yeah. know what we have planned for the upcoming week, right? Yeah. You should stay neutral on this because. If you take John DeLynn's side, it's not going to go well for you. And he'll elaborate on that more. So then he gives me this uh, link to the allegations against John DeLynn detailed. Right. Yeah, detailed. That was a problem. There was a distinct lack of any details yeah. in these allegations. That was one of the problems. Um, and then <laughs> then I, I went ahead and I texted him back. I said, you are the one about to go down in flames, me amigo. I think I'll pass. Thanks just the same. And then I texted, I suggest you might want to pull up now before it's too late. Yeah. That's a plane reference, which we'll get to another plane reference later on. Yes. But well, uh, once again, I'm being a prophet. I didn't even know that. Yeah. But now you get the longest line in the play, which is Quaku's two responses. And that's going to end the text exchange. So he responds by saying, by, by passing, do you mean supporting John? I already know the video you're planning to do on me. By the We're way, ready to, by, by the way, way this made no me chuckle a lot too because apparently his intel, his intel was uh, was uh, wrong. No, we yeah. weren't planning on doing any kind of video on him. We were doing a video about uh, these allegations, but I don't think we even mentioned him at all in that video. 
And if we did, it was only as a uh, as a tangent and not not really having to do with the episode at all. Right. I'm so I'm sorry I interrupted you're you. You're good. Right. He goes, I already know the video you're planning to do on me. We're ready to counter it, and we have a ton more coming. This isn't supposed to take a swing at anyone but him. But if you want to align yourself with him, it's not going to be fun. It's not going to be a fun summer for RFM or for Mormonism Live. Can I just say something here? <laughs> I, I had a great summer. How was your summer, Bill? My summer was fantastic. Balls to the wall. It was amazing. And I uh, had a wonderful fall, capped off with a wonderful November down in Salt Lake City at Thrive. Yeah. And a certain debate, which uh, about 37,000 people have watched on YouTube so far in the various channels. Yeah. Um, and still no response from Quaku, Carden, or Brad about the debate, even though it's been, what, four weeks come this Saturday. Yeah. So we're all wondering what's happened to them or if they're still somewhere in the dark corner licking their wounds. But I'm doing great. I'm doing great. And I'm not sure that things are so great for, for Quaku and company. But it was yeah. very nice of him to be concerned about me and you yeah. when he says, if you want to align yourself with John DeLynn, it is not going to be a fun summer for RFM or Mormonism Live. Continue, please. Yeah, I'm still, wait, I'm still waiting for a few retractions from them, but I don't see those coming anytime soon. No. No. Do you really think Anne Christie? Oh, you Kate, should say Rosebud there. See, he's oh, so using sorry. her name all over the place. Shame on him. I'll try to do that here. So yeah. do you really think Rosebud, Christie, Kate, Joanna are all lying? They're not. Do the right thing and separate yourself from John, or you can support him publicly it really is your choice, but man, I can't ever imagine wanting to spend time on camera speaking up for someone who a bunch of women are actively accusing, but it is a free country. Now, again, there are more than one woman because um, I know Kate Kelly got involved, but John doesn't have like accusations of uh, serious things. He's got one person who the evidence points to being somewhat a balanced relationship. And if anything, it's this woman, Rosebud, who is pursuing him extremely heavily. And uh, I just, I hate when people word accusations in a way as to make it sound like there's 50 women out there who have, uh, who have come out against John DeLynn. Right. But of course that's the impression they want to make. Yeah. Right. And that's where you don't get into details. You get into this vague, uh, sort of sinister sounding accusatory language, which some people will take and run with without saying, okay, what are the details behind this? Yeah. By the way, you notice assembly puts at the end of his last text, but it is a free country, America. Yeah. yeah the flag, American flag. And yeah. I think that was a harbinger of the Velcroed flags that each of the three of them would be wearing on their bulletproof vests at the debate backwards. Well, two of them had it on right. It was Cardin who had it on backwards. And then when I asked him about it on the stage, he gave a completely fallacious uh, explanation as to why he had it on backwards. I didn't know it was fallacious, not having served in the military. But then there was a thread that got made on Reddit, ex-Mormon Reddit, which was devoted to people saying why it was that Cardin was absolutely wrong in his explanation. Yeah. And if and if he was he in the military at one time, um, I do not know. Okay, it seemed from the way he talked that he was, mm -hmm. um, but anybody in the military who's wearing, you know, the uh, Kevlar and all those kinds of things, um, you'd think he would at least understand. Kind of, uh, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm never mind. I'm going to move on. But it, the whole thing with the vest being on the outside to me is, I'm still, I'm still raging inside about the ridiculousness of that. Really? Okay. And I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking, if somebody has experience in uh, defense and 
and protecting themselves, you would know that if you really are afraid of someone walking into a building and pulling a gun out and shooting you, that you want the person walking in to not know that you have a bulletproof vest on. So you wear it underneath. And the only reason you wear it on the outside is that you want to make some kind of statement and look ridiculous because that's exactly what you did. Yeah, it was a quasi-political religious statement that they were trying to make that they were the victims, they were the persecuted minority, and God help us. We are so brave to show up here where at any moment some crazy person could take a shot at us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, anything else on those those that little set of episodes and interactions? That was the end of that. I hope everybody enjoyed that previously unrevealed text between me and Kwaku L. By the way, there's a certain background here, Bill. By the way, I put up the the actual one there oh, yeah. of the the text. Oh, um, you can see this was the date that she claimed that John was harassing her and coming at her really strong, and uh, you can see from Rosebud. Uh, that that wasn't the case. Right. Well, we don't have to read through these, but if we did, yeah. I would want you to be Rosebud and I could be John DeLynn. No, and I, I'll pass, my friend. We can just move on to the... I to the dim next. the lights. <laughs> we could. We could dim the lights. Um, I don't know exactly what's going to come next, so uh, we're going to see what oh, we even but, put but together for The us. background, the background. Please. You can do the big reveal on the background that you chose that we started out oh, this let's, show, uh, with, remember? Yeah, let's do this. So, um, does everybody remember this crazy kind of background that we had in the first few shows? And uh, it's the same background that's up there now. It looks sort of like an impressionistic painting or a portion of an impressionistic painting. There's yeah. a story behind it which has not been revealed until right no, now. Bill. There is there is a story. I'm just trying to find uh, the piece of art which I've got here in front of me. Um, so what this, we did just, yeah, yeah, no, no problem. So, uh, <laughs> we, we talked about like having some kind of ambiguous background so that it wouldn't distract from you and I having a conversation on our yes. episodes. Yes. And you can see on the far right here, there's something and the far left is all this kind of green, but what it is, is it's a zoomed in picture and, uh, and I'll put it up here on the screen. I want everybody um, to know this was not my idea. I had nothing to do with this. Yeah. This is pure Bill real. So what it was is it is the image of Joseph Smith from the being the lieutenant commander of the Nauvoo Legion and uh, telling everybody that, you know, he's the guy in charge of everything. He's the mayor of Nauvoo. He's in charge of the military. He's the prophet, seer, and revelator. And we figured, oh, I figured, since Joseph Smith was talking out of his ass so much that that we ought to probably be talking out of Joseph Smith's ass as well. So there it is, RFM and Bill Real, right out of the backside of Joseph Smith. Since if he's talking out of his ass, we thought at least figuratively we might be as well. Yeah. So that's the explanation <laughs> behind that, everybody. By the way, a 30-year veteran had just made a comment about saying it was right. The 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 other veterans who are mentioned who are commenting on this um, Reddit thread said, yeah, if it was on his right sleeve, it would have been correct. The problem was that he had it right here on his chest. Yeah. So I don't know if that makes any difference to uh, that veteran whose comment was just put up there. That 30 year Oh, Matthew says, I am military. He should not have worn the flag that way. The other two were okay. The vest, co- the vest concert, the vest concert was done to begin with. So I, that's my understanding. I didn't know it at the time, but based on what I read, that, yeah, there's one exception to the rule about having the field on the upper left uh, of the flag, and that's when it's worn on the right sleeve in order. And that's because otherwise it would be backward when you're viewing it on the right sleeve. Yeah, love it. I love that we go the extra mile to clarify things, and one side just gets to say something and never really be accountable to saying the nonsense that they do. 
And by the way, here's something that's very important. And it's always good for me to remind myself of this. Yeah. Is that when Cardin was giving his explanation for why he had his flag on backward, he sounded completely credible. Like he really knew what he was talking about. And yeah. if I had not been educated by other people who were actual military veterans on the way things really are, I never would have known that he either didn't know what he was. Well, he didn't know what he was talking about at all. I wouldn't have known that he was completely wrong. Yeah. This, uh, the next episode here, I now know what this is. This was an episode we did. It was uh, number 22 strange sound bites. Um, and even oops. And even stranger lies. And this had this funny clip from elder Holland, which is this one here. Here's kind of what happens. Uh, the world is here and, and we're more, we're more conservative here. And we, we, we're, we're not going to do what the world does, you know, live together or, or, or never get married or whatever. But as, as the world progresses, cultures change, they go here and then we go here and then they go here and we go here. And, and before long you look up and we're perilously close where, where, where we would never have thought to be before. So um, that to me is hilarious because we've been making this argument that the church is 40 years behind on every social issue. Every because because Mormonism is based in tribalism, because there has to be the good guys and the bad guys. There's us and there's them. Anybody who's different than you has to be less than. So people of color in Mormonism, people of female gender, people of uh, people who have doubts, uh, the LGBT community. Anytime there's somebody different, Mormonism finds a way to go. We're the good guys. And those are the bad guys. We're the men patriarchy. Those are the women. Um, you know, we're the, we're the ones who know the church is true. We're the ones who obviously aren't the lazy learners. Those folks with the doubts have to be, um, those are the kind of stories, but what ends up happening is that elder Holland just here seems to admit that the church is actually always playing catch up with the world. This was what I perceive as being a wonderfully Freudian moment for elder Holland where in the context of his warning the church about what it is they Here's shouldn't kind of do. Here's what happens. Uh, the sorry, world no, is sorry here. Sorry about that. Go ahead. That's okay. We can never have enough. Enough Elder Holland. Holland. So, to paraphrase Thoreau. Anyway, in, in the context of his warning the church members about what they shouldn't do, he ends up actually admitting to what the church does. Yeah. Yeah. That's just it. Um, so the next one we did, I think, was on Heavenly Mother. I just want to go down and make sure of that before I say, yeah. So this was the misogynistically unmentionable Heavenly Mother. And I put an S on the end in parentheses because maybe there's Heavenly Mothers. Oh, yeah. um, but it was uh, the episode where we talked about how your rule number, the rules of the game, that last rule that if you talk about things, we will hide you. And that's exactly what happened to Fiona Givens. Oh, right. And here's this picture of Fiona and Terrell. And remember, I see the picture and I remember this rude comment I made about it's it's difficult to tell which is which. Yeah. Well, they both have glasses. Well, yeah. And there's other physiognomy uh, similarities. Okay. Physiognomous so, similarities. <laughs> yeah. And so there was a lot of there was a lot of conversation in that episode about how 
the church, you know, has this brilliant, beautiful thing that would be attractive to people investigating the church, which is. Are you talking about Terrell or Fiona? I'm, I'm talking about a role for Heavenly Mother. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So by we have this beautiful piece of our theology that we should be inserting into the first discussion um, and, and helping people to see that Mormonism separates itself with this beautiful idea that female, the female gender is also God. And uh, instead, Mormonism sweeps it under the rug, refuses to talk about it, barely acknowledges it, and then shames everybody when they speak up about it. Yes, that's absolutely correct. And poor, poor Fiona. Yeah, she got benched or sent to the showers. And now, um, and and also the other person, remember, we talked about uh, the professor. um, Oh, my gosh. Here's where uh, he wrote the book about Nauvoo, the much acclaimed book about he said Houston. Uh, prof- help me yeah. with the name. I'm, I'm struggling I'm, here, Bill. I'm Romeo struggling line. too, but somebody, hopefully maybe somebody here will come on and say oh uh, my in the park. But yeah, ben park. park. Ben, yeah, Benjamin Park. Ah, good job. Wait, I glad you finally it. got it, my friend. I still got it. Okay, yeah. 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 Because remember, he had been uh, kind of sidelined. Uh, there was that article in The Interpreter, a journal of Latter-day Saint thought, which uh, by... Susan Easton Black, in which she spent about three pages and maybe two hours uh, telling everybody why it was that his book that had been so acclaimed and won the award for best book by the John Whitmer History Association, I think, best book of the year, why it really wasn't any good because she did not hear him bearing his testimony of Joseph Smith as a prophet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then after that, you uh, spoke out uh, on an episode about the uh, Adam God and, and the title. Let me see here what the name of it was. It was um, the what? Adam God Deception. The Adam God Deception. Yay. Well, I can say is let's make Adam God again. <laughs> um, the episode I thought was really well done. This was one that I had to go back as I'm going through all the episodes from last year. And I go like, man, that was a really good one. Like we did a bunch of good ones and this was one of them. And I thought you did a really good uh, expose on how they taught it and then tried to get rid of it and then tried to pretend they had never taught it, which is the thing they always do. Right. And this uh, image that you have up on the screen from that show was one of the high points, which shows that Brigham Young taught that you need to believe the Adam God theory in order to be saved contrasted with Bruce R. McConkie's statement that if you do teach or believe the Adam God theory, then you will be damned. Yeah. You can, you can't win, right? It's a, it's a double bind. It's a Sophie's choice. No matter what you pick, you lose. You can't win. You can't get even, and you can't get out of the game. Don't pass go. Don't collect $200. I'm sorry. I'm out. I'm out of sayings. Yeah. Yeah. We, we interviewed Nemo. Yes. Nemo. uh, I like to think we launched his career. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if you go find him, I don't think he has the beard anymore. Now it's just the mustache. Yes. Yeah. Fact he's trying to Nemo. He's trying a, a lot of different looks. Yeah. Fact checking with Nemo. That was a fun conversation. He's got a great sense of humor. And, and I, I do in all seriousness, go check out his channel and subscribe to him as well. He puts out great material. And uh, I think it's fun to have all of these voices on this side of things who are, uh, critically constructive criticism at times and critically thinking about the church and addressing those kinds of issues. Yeah. He's fantastic. I love his insights, his sense of humor, his accent. Yeah. Oh my goodness. 
He's he's a wonderful bloke. And if you are if you haven't checked out anything from Nemo and you want to check something out to get a taste of it, you can do no be- you can do no better than his most recent meme review. Yeah, with a couple of blokes named uh, well, Bill Real and Radio Free Mormon. Yeah, it's a. Uh- it was a lot of laughs. Uh, he put a, a several memes up on the screen and we were, some of them we were reading, I think for the first time and some of them I'd seen before, but yeah. a lot of them were deeply funny. And then we talked about what was going on behind the scenes with each of those. So um, we sat down. Uh, oh my gosh. Get this off the screen. That picture of me <laughs> off the screen at once. Do you yeah, hear I, me, Maven? Yeah, I'll go back. I'll go back to this one for a moment, but that episode <laughs> was when I we sat down. I thought it was great. And, and the comment but like everyone wearing the glasses and just looking so spiffy. Oh my yeah. gosh. This is like I dream of Jeannie. I call out Maven's name and boom, she appears. <laughs> I love it. Uh, we interviewed John DeLynn and we talked about the origination of Mormon stories and gave him a chance to tell us how the whole thing got started. Right. And John DeLynn is doing his Roy Orbison look there. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I think John had an okay summer too. Yeah. He had a good summer. Remember this one? Hang on a second. Let me say that again. I think John's doing his Roy Orbison look there. I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't barely know Roy Orbison. Okay. He's okay. Consumer, I'm getting no reaction. I'm getting no reaction from you, Bill. I need some help here. I'll have to do a Google search of Roy Orbison. Okay. Maybe you, Maven can do that while she's doing it. You look a little things. like Sam Young in that picture. Oh my gosh. I look like something that has just, I look like something that's about to turn into a guardian spirit and hit Joseph Smith in the head. If, uh, if Randy and Sam had a baby they're they're Oh uh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. By, by the way, that's my long way of saying I look like a toad. Not not as a white toad. Well, Mister Toad of <laughs> Toad <Mr>. Hall. <laughs> you remember this one? I do. This was so great because we have an individual from England once again who made this discovery years ago. Never mentioned it to anybody. It affected his shelf tremendously when he was watching the uh, what is it English Roadshow or British Roadshow uh, antique yeah. show, antique Roadshow right yes and they've got it in England apparently and he saw this and he just went oh my gosh it's the Leahona yeah and we did some research these were absolutely in Palmyra New York around the time of Joseph Smith there is even some indication that these were manufactured uh, at least in part in uh, the New York Rochester kind of area and uh, when we went to Thrive you and me there was a listener of ours who had purchased about three of these. I think it was three of them. Was it? And and he laid them on our table. Our ta- Sorry about that. Our table at Thrive, he came over and pulled out of his duffel bag three of these. And one of them was big. I mean, it was about, about the size of a basketball. And yeah. I was actually quite surprised that it was as big as it was. And then he had two other ones that were much smaller. And when you go look at the Google images, it becomes very obvious that this – has the similar look to at least the way the church has portrayed the Liahona over the years, almost identical, by the way. And when you think of a ball of curious workmanship, you don't get much more ornate, intricate, and curious than these things. Right, which is exactly what curious means back in 1820, what was it, 1826 Webster's Dictionary, whatever it was. Yeah, curious means of intricate or fine workmanship. Absolutely. And actually, this ends up I'm sorry, I, I don't want to redo the entire episode again, but it's reminding me that this, the way this is constructed, this coach hand warmer, you write a coach, you hold this uh, in your hands because that's an oil lamp there in the middle. Um, it actually explains some of the questions that are raised by the Book of Mormon itself regarding what on earth the Liahona looked like yeah. and how there were uh, pointers that were inside the ball, Right. And here you got a ball that opens up on hinges like that. 
And then you have all these spindles inside. Yeah, it was remarkable. Do you remember that that night, this individual who had made this discovery we're going to have on the show, everything's ready to go. And then all of a sudden, the entire Internet system in England went down. Yeah, he couldn't he couldn't be on with us. So we had to go on without him. Yeah, well, almost because it's three o'clock over there in England by now. It's it's not the middle of the night. It's the dead of night. And he gets out of his house and he drives. I think he drove to a place where there was a hillside and he goes up the hillside so he can get enough bars on his phone to call in to the show. So he's out there in the middle of nowhere up on this hill in England at like three between three and four o'clock in the morning. That's dedication calling into the show. So at least we could hear his voice. Yeah, Nemo did kind of the same thing in the middle of the night, went out to his like garage or something, didn't he? And and recorded with us. So those British guys, they've got some they've got some willpower. Well, they do. They do. And I think they've displayed it frequently throughout history. And that's as close as I'll come to giving the British a compliment. Oh, here was the one. This was the guy <laughs> that brought this was the guy who brought his. Yes. Like I said, it, you know, big ball, about the size of a basketball. It is huge. Whoever used this had very big hands. Or maybe this is something that could be used by more than one person. I don't know. Yeah. But but he I'm not going to say how much he paid for it, but it was let's just say it it's as expensive as it looks like it would be. Yeah. And so he's bought some. I know that other people wanted to buy some and did because of the show. It's fascinating to them. I've got a feeling that after our show aired, the sales of coach hand warmers took a spike upward. Yeah, look at that. Yep. And uh, so now the value of these is even greater because now there's more people out there trying to buy them, huh? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think you yep. did a good thing with that. Both objects would light the path before you. Uh, then we had uh, Lindsay Hansen Park on, the always incredible Lindsay Hansen Park. Uh, and we talked about all the the sticky issues within polygamy. And uh, Lindsay did a beautiful job helping us put all of those into context and uh, took some questions at the end. And I thought that was a really fun episode to do as well. It was. Could you do me a favor, Bill? Yeah. Could you not, not use the word polygamy and sticky issues in the same sentence again? <laughs> okay. I will refrain from that. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, anything on this one? No, this was a huge, huge uh, deal. It was great to have uh, Lindsay on the show. And the thing I remember most about it was just how funny she was where you come on with your glasses, right? You got your glasses on at the very beginning. I put my glasses on, remember? Yeah, yeah. And she put, yeah, she makes fun of you. And then you bring, and she's not on the screen. And then you bring her in and she's got her, and she put put glasses on so that we could all be three poindexters of a feather. Yeah, yeah. Look at that. That was funny. Yeah. And then, oh, this must be the uh, flight one, I assume. Let's, uh, let me look up here. President Nelson's uh, yeah, flight. Yeah, President Nelson's flight. Let me just check and see if the next photo is anything as well tied to that. Um, no, we'll go back here. So, yeah, the flight one. This was – this is – we'll get to the end and talk about our favorite episodes, but this makes my list. I won't say where it falls, but this makes my list. I When you came to me and said, hey, we've been discussing on this Discuss Mormonism board, which you participate in all the time, and there are really bright minds there – and I'll jump in once every great while, but you really put a lot of energy into kind of conversating with the folks over there at Discuss Mormonism. And uh, it's a really good board, really educated, informed, intelligent people there. And as you guys are all digging into this issue, finally, one day, somebody comes along and says, I think I found the flight record. And you and I have been talking for about a year 
off and on every few months going like, hey, at some point we want to tackle this plane story because you and I both know this didn't happen. But we just didn't have – we wanted to come with stronger evidence than just to claim that we thought it didn't happen. Right. And uh, you reached out to me and said, that's it. We've got it. We're going to do it. And uh, I thought this episode was so well done. And we even had pilots calling in at the end saying, I knew this story was BS all along. Yes. And saying, no, <laughs> it, was it, it didn't ever happen that way. It would never have happened. I remember that. So many pilots calling in. I do want to say once again, okay, and you've already handed that at Bill because I think it's important, is that what we did, uh, the lion's share of it, uh, the majority of it, was based upon research that was done by really, really smart people over at the what's called the Discuss Mormonism message board now. And if people who are listening to the show want to be in on conversations, whether you just want to read them or participate, either way is fine, with really some of the, the finest, smartest, best educated minds about Mormonism, that is a great place to go. Yeah, when you look at how um, not as intelligent or critically thinking as the Mormon dialogue and discussion board is uh, this board is completely the opposite. This is really where I think vibrant conversations happen. There's really good disagreement. And at the end of the day, the data really is valued. Well, the good thing about the Mormon dialogue and discussion board, which is different from the discuss Mormonism board. Yeah. Is it, when you join up for the Mormon dialogue and discussion board, you get a free drool cup. You, <laughs> uh, so President Nelson will, you know, you expose, by the way, you've done it over the course of your podcast, Radio Free Mormon, where you've talked about these other three stories, uh, the Mozambique, um, the, the incident at Mozambique, the hat lady who the gets lady the lady in the hat. Yeah. And there was one other one, but there were three of them. And then this plane story was the fourth one. And so you reiterated those three took us on the ride for the fourth one. And by the time it was over, all of us look at president Nelson and, and we go, this guy can't tell a story any better, more honest than Paul H Dunn or Jeffrey R Holland. No, there's nothing pedestrian that can happen in president Nelson's life that with a little bit of elbow grease cannot be made into <laughs> an absolute freaking miracle. Maybe the arena, the arena might've been one of them, but I thought there was another story too. I think there was, and it's not coming to my mind. Yeah, somebody somebody will remember here. Oh, wait, wait, that. wait. No, no, that was the one that was taken out of the book, The Lady in the Hat. Yeah, Lady his biography, in the Hat, taken remember. out of the book. Mozambique, I, he was held at gunpoint. And who wrote his biography? Uh, Sherry Dew. There you go. <laughs> she keeps coming up. Oh, boy. Uh, we did one on the general authorities where we showed their dishonesty in their secular lives and how favors are done. And so we pointed to Quentin Cook with the hospital. Yes. We pointed to Elder Ballard in the Valley City Music Hall. And um, there was one other one. It was, oh, Thomas Monson Jr. being fired for sexual uh, misconduct, uh, allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then being hired immediately by Curtin and McConkie. Yes. And, that was and a... in, since that episode's been done, by the way, RFM, we, you and I found something else. You remember this one? Oh my gosh, yes. What did you find there? That so, says it's uh, from July 10th of 1963. That's a long time ago. This was long before Elder Ballard became a member of the Quorum of the Twelve. We discovered this just uh, uh, about a month ago, maybe two months ago. And this was the Securities and Exchange Commission News Digest. M. Russell Ballard Jr., president and principal stockholder of the firm, uh, and that's the Keystone Securities Corp., was found 
a cause of, and I, I kind of lost the piece of that. I don't know how to get out of this thing, but essentially the uh, Securities and Exchange Commission uh, found that he was doing uh, sharing false and misleading statements and he lost his license. And this isn't just a small matter. You had looked into this a little bit. Anything else you want to add about how maybe serious this was? Um, as far as seriousness goes, I don't know because I don't practice this area of law, but I do know it's a pretty big deal when you are trying to solicit uh, shares of stock, which I think is what was going on here in the Shasta Minerals and Chemical Company with which uh, Elder Ballard, uh, this I think is before El he was in El general authority, at least he was probably Elder Ballard still, but uh, that he was involved in. Uh, you've got to be very, very careful that you are not making misleading statements in your brochures and your advertising materials in order to get people to buy stock in your company. Because if you do, bad things can happen. And apparently that's what happened to Elder Ballard. Yeah. And this, again, part of this episode that we did was pointing to the idea that, you know, you and I are aware of things that are in the public view about three, four, five of these guys. And then you and I also know some stories behind the scenes, at least one specifically that you and I share knowledge of um, where leaders have compromised their morality, their integrity, their ethics. And I take the opinion that it is that compromising of their ethics and morality, uh, their dishonesty and other places of their life that actually makes them good candidates to be pulled into the quorum of the 12 and it would at least appear when you take these 15 men uh, and look at their lives, there's a significant number of them who have egregious ethical mistakes in their past. Yes. And by the way, just as far as uh, just to clarify where it says M. Russell Ballard Jr., yeah. I'm guessing that his dad may have still been alive at the time, but they have the same name. Yeah. His dad's name was Melvin. Yeah. Melvin Ballard, Melvin yep. R. Ballard, in fact, but yep. their whole names are Melvin Russell Ballard, both the dad and the son. The dad went by and I think he was an apostle as well. Melvin R. Ballard. And then his son chose to mix it up a little bit and call himself M. Russell Ballard. Yeah. And this would be this would be M. Russell Ballard Jr., who was and is a member of the Quorum of the Twelve, who's currently the president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Uh, and as you can see, uh, not really the best of men. So when they say these guys are fallible, they mean it. Yeah. When they say that the leaders of the church are fallible, you can believe them. <laughs> oh, and then remember this, we talked about the second anointing. Yes. Cause you found this, Oh, yeah. oh, oh we, uh, the, this, uh, the trophy. Yeah, yeah. That was a great, great episode about the second anointing. Talk about one-stop shopping to find out everything you need to know about the second anointing. Yeah. We're afraid to ask. We did it. And uh, after the show, about six or seven people messaged me and said, this set is sitting on Uncle Joe's fireplace or, uh, you know, Grandma Betty's uh, uh, bookshelf or whatever. So people are now wondering uh, who's gotten the second anointing and who hasn't. And just because it seems like we should ask, have 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 you received the second anointing? Are you talking to me? I'm Yeah, I was going to ask you if you received it. Are you talking to me? Yeah, I'm talking to you. I have been, I can't answer that question. You know that, <laughs> but I cannot tell you if I've had it, but I have been, I can tell you that I've instructed not to share my most sacred experiences. <laughs> and if you see, and if you see something like this, uh, what is it? It's a, it's a, a pitcher in a, pitcher a, a basin. basin. Yeah. If you see that on somebody's shelf 
or mantle in their house. The one thing you don't want to do is piss them off. No. And and I'll add, at some point, one of my plans is to purchase you this set so it can sit behind you on that on that desktop. And it'll just help perpetuate the narrative that maybe you have and maybe you haven't. Who knows? That'd be so nice of you because then I would have a matching set. <laughs> oh, my goodness. How about this one, RFM? You uh, talked about it was mission presidents behaving badly. Wait a second. Susan Allen says Bill's laugh is the best. Yeah, Bill's I laugh I think we is- need to take a poll on that because <laughs> I, be- I beg to differ with you. Oh, man. Uh, tell us about Orson Wright. My laugh may not be the best, but it is the most maniacal. Or Orson Wright. Um, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Blank. I'm guessing he was a mission president. He was. We've got it highlighted there. He was a mission president. Um, this I, All I know, I don't remember his specifics, but I remember you shared, I think, two mission presidents, one yeah. assistant to the mission president, and then I talked about one mission president, Albert Carrington. Right. And you, and you remember Albert Carrington, right? He, <laughs> yeah, he gave a new definition to the rule of thumb. <laughs> How long is your thumb? Like three inches? I don't know. Uh, but, uh, no, I forget enough. about Orson Wright because he was a new one that I uh, I didn't know about before I did research for this episode. I knew about uh, Philander Smart. The <laughs> bad third. name for a bad mission president. <laughs> yeah, think of it. There's two others, at least, above him. Yeah, but uh, two other philanders running around, and, and God only knows, but he's got a kid who's the fourth. So, There's a lot of philanderers. Yes, there are, and he had trouble down there in the beautiful what is it, Puerto Rican mission with the islands so. and the sister missionaries and his plane and giving them rides and heaven yeah. knows what else that got him uh, summarily cashiered and sent back to the states before yeah. his term was up. Yeah, and again, I'll, I'll note it because we're laughing a bunch, but there there's serious sexual trauma that have that has happened at the expense of church leaders. And if you remember, I don't know if we got it in this slideshow, so I'll just mention it here. But remember, we talked about uh, Elder Iring gave that talk, and maybe it was at the beginning of this episode, where he said, you have to have faith that all the leaders of the church are called by inspiration, and God makes no mistakes in those callings. Right. Right. Why do they say such things? I I don't know, because uh, I don't know that you could fit another foot in the mouth of the people at the top of the church. Yeah. Eventually, there's just too many feet in there to squeeze in another one. <laughs> not Elbert Carrington's problem. A mouth can only be stretched so wide. I mean, it's not like they're reptiles. They can actually dislocate their jaw and yeah. make it bigger. Right, right. Uh, all right, so let's see here. This is uh, the symphony of uh, LGBT misdirection. This was Elder Holland's musket speech, oh, uh, yes. I believe, at BYU. Um, so there's that. That happened, and I can't believe that he was as insensitive as he was. And I know, I know, he would probably was given that assignment from somebody other than himself, maybe a little higher up. But uh, I just, I just feel bad for these guys always standing in front of a microphone and and saying things that either incite somebody either are demonstrably false um, or just not really inspirational at all. Yeah, that was his musket speech. The only thing he didn't do was refer to his musket as Old Bess. Old Bess. Oh, <laughs> uh, all right. Okay, so, okay, Bill. Bill, Yes, you're laughing, but did you get that? I, I know, Old Bess. You'll have to tell me what. <laughs> you see, you have a very certain kind of laugh that I've been able to figure out, which is when you're laughing just to sort of humor me. I have a tell. Don't play poker with me. 
Okay. <laughs> you make, uh, see, you make what? fun of me if I laugh. You make fun of me if I don't laugh. Like, how? Do, what am I supposed to do? There's no winning. <laughs> it feels There's like no another winning, double bind. And I apologize. <laughs> no, no, I, don't. This is why don't. I have no friends. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was a legitimate laugh. Yes. <laughs> we uh, then we got into I believe this is the one on the 1886 revelation. Yes, maybe? and I said, and there's George Buchanan. He's the one in the striped suit. Yeah, George Buchanan. Yeah, you can tell the church leaders they're the ones that uh, do things risky of going to jail. Right, and that was a great, great episode. That was another one of your ideas to do the 1886 revelation to John Taylor about uh, plural marriage is not going away, and we're not going to bow to the federal government. Yeah. And then it parlayed into what was, I thought, the more interesting aspect of it, which once again you found out, which was that the church went into cover-up mode in 1922, I think it was, or maybe it was the 30s, 33, when the first presidency, after knowing about this letter, this revelation, which was presented to them by John W. Taylor, the son, in 1911, I think, um, they decide, okay, this is too much trouble because the polygamous fundamentalists are making hay out of it. And so instead of dealing with the facts, we're just going to issue a first presidency statement saying this revelation never occurred. Yeah, there was at least, I think, five, maybe six people when that 1933 announcement was given that would have had to have all been lying through their teeth based on the way the announcement was articulated. Yes, it was a total, total um, prevarication. It yeah. was a total, uh, that was, that would be the actual definition of gaslighting. And one of the funny things was when I got, I found that paper by uh, Brian Hales, remember the polygamy yeah. expert, the legitimate polygamy expert who in the conclusion basically went through this 1886 revelation and the 1933 first presidency statement denying that it had ever happened. And Brian Hales basically saying, yeah, that probably wasn't a good move for the first presidency just to deny its existence. They probably should have dealt with it in another way. Yeah, this was episode 42, Revelation, Excommunications, Lies, and Obfuscations, the 1886 John Taylor Divination. So uh, I just wanted to put a bunch of rhyming words in there. So that was what I did. I know you could be a rap artist. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a poet and didn't know it. It's kind of the way you're dressed for that. By the way, rap artist, did you see we released a single on our Mormonism uh, YouTube channel? Uh, no. What are you you'll, have to go, you'll have to go check it out. It is a rap song. Uh, that I won't we released uh, that. What's that? That we released that. Well, I mean, you know, Mormon this is the first I'm hearing about this Mormon discussion incorporated. Uh, I did a rap song using Looney's. I've got five on it, which is a famous rap song from the nineties, uh, which is why I've never heard of it. Yeah. And uh, I ended up uh, writing out in about 45 minutes, a set of lyrics that uh, tried to share as much of the Mormon messiness as I possibly could. I don't know that it's, super uh quality but i think you'll find it very entertaining so when this show's over you and all the viewers can go to our youtube channel don't forget to hit the subscribe button and then check out one of the most recent uh published uh things we put on there which is a uh mormonism 101 rap song that is fantastic how yeah, long is it uh about five minutes and i i think i squeeze a whole ton of uh, messy church history into those five minutes well, maybe we can feature that in, a, in an upcoming episode. 
The only downside is the music is copyrighted and uh, we get in a little bit of trouble. So oh. I have it. It's it's published, but it has it so that no ads show, no, no. It, we basically removed all the risk of us getting uh, in trouble. So, okay. Uh, well, but it is on idea. there. People, people can hear it. Um, succession in the presidency, uh, suicide. We covered the, the suicide issue, um, which I thought was crucial. Uh, because I had come across this, um, oh, not Bruce R. McConkey, but the other guy, Marky Peterson, Marky Peterson audio, where he is encouraging Latter-day Saints that they'd be better off to take their life than to be unworthy. And then you had the Marion G. Romney statement from, uh, the church magazine at the time, which said that you were better off coming home in a casket than losing your virtue. And then we combined that with Bruce R. McConkie and a bunch of other teachings, and we exposed that that the church has uh, really handled this issue super poorly through the years in spite of being led by prophets, seers, and revelators. Right. And I may have made some marginally inappropriate jokes during that podcast, which I'll take the opportunity now to give a blanket apology for. By the way, Marky Peterson, did you know that before he became an apostle, he had a brief recording career? I didn't know that. Yeah, under the name Marky Mark. Mark, Mark, E. Mark. <laughs> okay, you got that one. That's a real I did laugh. get that one. Okay. That was a rap. That was a rap reference, and so yes, uh, Mark, Mark Wahlberg, right? I, I believe so. Yes. Yeah. The the original Marky Mark before he became a uh, star studded actor. Yeah, he's really uh, done a lot to further his career. Yeah, he yeah he took a really bad rap career and turned it into a uh, a, a really, movie actor. Yeah, really mediocre film career no i think he's doing really well i think he's doing well i think the highlight was when he was in one of those transformers sequels are you talking about elbert carrington in that picture there me yeah i didn't know <laughs> i don't know okay. i don't know all right is like a, <laughs> something microphallic i don't know look at this look at this i'm doing the same thing as i'm doing over there yeah maybe you're squishing marky peterson's head no, no, I don't think so. I think I'm talking about Albert Carrington. You're correct. All right, here we go. We'll move on. Um, we had Whoa, uh, Elwood. Yeah, uh, we had the Glass Looker. Yes, we Mark talked Elwood. about the book, the Glass Looker. I think it was Mark Elwood. Isn't that his first name? Yes, sir. Mark Elwood in uh, the Glass Looker. Uh, I will say this book was so dang well done. I would recommend that it be on every nuanced or post Mormon's bookshelf. Yeah, and the, the artwork is wonderful, and the research that went into it is great. It actually brings these episodes in Joseph Smith's early history alive to me in a way that it had never been done before. <laughs> and Sally right. Chase is a total hottie in the comic book, too. Yeah, Sally Chase, yes. That's Who would have thought it? Yeah, I yeah. I can see why Joseph was there trying to borrow her green seer stone all the time. Yes, he wouldn't leave her alone. <laughs> No. Oh. <laughs> and then and then we covered Kane as Bigfoot. Uh this takes us up to um this would be episode number 50. We are getting close to the end of the year. This would be episode number 50 and we talked about dear Jesus. You talked about the story with Martin Harris seeing yes. a deer on the side of the road and thinking it was Jesus Christ himself, our risen Lord. Yes, and you know it's one thing to see a deer and think it's a Jesus. Think it's Jesus. It's another thing to walk with the deer for miles and carry on the conversation. Yep, absolutely. 
Um, all right. So dear Jesus, and we talked about Cain and that was a really fun episode to do as well. And so I really enjoyed that one too. Yes. Um, we're getting close to the end. Uh, talk for a minute about, about this conversation. Well, this is, uh, the conversation we had and we're fortunate enough to have with Denver Snuffer, who is a big figure in, um, I don't know, what would you call it? Uh, uh, schismatic Mormon sects. If that's sufficiently correct, I always feel like I have to choose my words very carefully because it's an unusual position that he holds. But basically, yeah, he's come up with a uh, version of early Mormonism. I think the idea is they want to get back to the fundamentals. So it's a neo-fundamentalist Mormonism type of offshoot, which is attractive to a lot of people because they would like to get back to what Joseph Smith actually taught and the miracles and charismatic gifts that were at least presented as being present in church history, in Joseph Smith's time, but which even a blind person can tell are completely, well, almost completely, if not completely absent in the current LDS church, at least among the leadership. Yeah, I hope I didn't have some sound there coming across, but I'm trying to initiate the phone system so that we can take calls here in a minute. Oh, is that what and that sound was? That Yeah, so they, that was them calling me to set up the uh, the phone system. So... Uh, Denver Snuffer, I thought it was great. I, I really enjoyed it. Of course, we got to the end and we were asking about the LGBT issue and that got a little sticky uh, because I, I don't think his his articulation could probably use a little bit of, of work in how we describe uh, people in that community versus other people who have moral issues and sin, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But it was a good conversation, and and uh, you know Denver seems to be a thorn in the church's side because they've uh, they've spent a lot of time, energy, and resources trying to refute him claiming he talks to Jesus and them never talking to Jesus. Right, which is what the whole 2015 Boise rescue was about. Yeah, yeah. Um, we did this one, which was Elder Oaks uh, in the uh, Douglas Laycock. Yeah. I'm sorry, you've got your cursor on Douglas Laycock. That was my old UT law professor. Gotcha. This uh, was the electroshock therapy. Elder Oaks is at Virginia University, and he proceeds to tell the entire audience that by the time he becomes the president of BYU, that practice, that that mechanism, that, that therapy of aversion uh, therapy done with shock treatments um, by measuring arousal to the genitals, and then when they would get aroused, shocking them, he says that was not, that was done away with by the time he gets there. And the reality is, as we showed, it starts under his watch and is there for pretty much the entire time he's the president of BYU. Yeah. And if you look closely in this picture, you can actually see the smoke begin to come up into view from the cuff of his pants, which are starting to smolder. <laughs> yeah, because uh, he was hooked up to a different one that was testing his line. Uh, hey, look. I'm not going there, Bill. And you cannot tempt me. Yeah, no, you, I know you did an episode uh, with Jonathan Streeter where Elder Oaks is not a liar. Right, I called it uh, Elder Oaks is not capital N, capital O, capital T, a liar. Hmm. You should check that out and decide for yourselves, folks, if Elder Oaks is a liar. I'm one of his biggest defenders. What? <laughs> okay, there's that. So uh, the electroshock therapy did happen under his watch, and uh, we already did those. Um, I think that covers everything. Uh, well, we were kind yeah. of long-winded tonight, weren't we, Bill? Look at the time. That was episode 52, and so that was one year of Mormonism Live. 
and uh, so excited that uh, all that happened. Uh, any any thoughts about the whole year and, and its totality and uh, anything specific you want to talk about? It was a great year. It was a great year. And I remember early on as we're doing this, because, you know, I've got a history in theater, which I have not been part of for a long time. And there's a huge difference between podcasting, recording into a microphone and then going back and editing and then publishing versus doing a live show. And I remember mentioning to my fiance early on, who also has a history in theater, saying it is so exciting to be able to look forward to a show again. Good, good, good. Um, we'll put the banner up here and uh, put our, this is going to be the victory for Satan segment of the show. You get to type in the mark of the beast on your phone. Uh, the telephone number to join Mormonism live uh, is 662 area code. And then the word Mormons spell that out plural Mormons, M O R M O N S or 662-667-6667. And while uh, Maven is screening those calls, uh, you and I can chat for a few more minutes I'd like to know your favorite three episodes for the year. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, I still feel like we should be doing this, you know, just in solidarity. Yeah, yeah, fist. The whole fist thing, that was inspired, much better than dirt. But I like this even better because we've got the number of the beast in it. Yeah. Uh, My three favorite episodes, I will tell you that, um, oh, my gosh, uh, I really like the one with the hand warmer. And the yeah. reason I, I, I'm reluctant to talk about three favorites is because I don't want to offend anybody, especially people who are guests on the show. But I always really, really enjoy it when I feel that we are able to contribute something substantive to the discussion of Mormon studies and not just, you know, saying things that maybe other people have said before, but digging up new things. It's like Joseph Smith said, it is my province to dig up new things for my listeners. So I thought that was really great. And I also like ones like, um, uh, the one that we talked about before, and you'll you'll give me the title here in a second. I think it's one of your titles, which tend to be longer and more difficult for me to remember. But <laughs> but but learning new things as well is is really exciting. And they may be things that are written about in periodicals or documents that I really haven't seen before, so they're new to me. But they have been published on, so that's a little bit different than finding something that's actually new. Oh, by the way, remember that. Um, about the the hand warmer thing that when I found this out from this English fellow who's remains nameless to this day at his request that he'd made this discovery, I thought, well, this is an amazing thing. You know, I don't remember having read about this, this connection between the the coach hand warmers and the Liahona and the similarity Mm. of their construction before. But then again, my knowledge is not encyclopedic. So I don't know. So we, and you, I think we, by which I mean you, uh, reached out to other scholars and asked them if they had ever heard about that before. And I believe the response was uniformly, no, they hadn't. So that's when I really got excited that we were able to present something new. And I hope that uh, this is something that will be carried forward and included in future articles or histories about Joseph Smith's early years, because I think it's that important. The backyard professor has told me that he really plans on not letting it go uh, unnoticed from this point forward, but he wants to to write about it and talk about it some more too. And if you remember, I mean, a couple of things too. One episode we didn't mention that probably should get mentioned is you solved the LGBT problem, the, the issue in the church by offering solutions. And there was an episode where we did, and I, that wasn't in the slideshow, but that was an episode where I thought you sincerely said, hey, church, if you want to fix this and put it behind you and solve it so that we can all move forward, 
Uh, I think you offered three solutions in that episode to to yeah. solve that. Um, and there was some part during the year where uh, you had figured out that there was potentially a fifth First Vision account um, as oh, well. Right. I don't remember right. what episode we talked about that, but then after you were done uh, with all that evidence, I put it together in a document and I shared it on Reddit and Facebook um, so that people could follow along and understand. Cause there was um, who was it? Was it not Joseph John Knight senior? Yeah. Joseph Knight senior. And there were some pages missing from his account, at least the first page. And we don't know how many pages before that were missing. All we know and what all the scholars know which I didn't know until because I just happened upon it at the time when we we're doing research for the episode, excuse me, was that it starts, the page where it starts is in mid-sentence, right in the middle of Joseph Smith heading to the hill to get the plates on the final visit in 1827 yeah. from the angel Moroni. So yeah. it's obvious that something has happened prior to that. What we don't know is what or how much, only that, the way the history, which Joseph Knight Sr. is writing about Joseph Smith, must have contained stuff that happened prior to the 1827 trip to Camorra to get the plates. Yeah. And the the main event that is missing in those whatever came before is the first vision. So Right. And it would have been written, it would have been written by 1833. Yeah. So very early in the process, a year after the 1832 account mentioning the one person and having a different reason for going into the grove. So um, whereas that first 1832 account of the first vision was so troublesome to church historian and apostle Joseph Fielding Smith that he had it cut out of the letter book in which it was contained and hidden in a safe for three decades something seems to have happened to the first page or pages of the Joseph Knight senior book. And it may be for a similar reason, but. And, and there's still, and there's still four pages, four leaves, eight pages, right? Is that, am I saying that right? Eight pages, six, eight leaves, 16 pages. Yeah. That are missing. I don't know if you mentioned that or not, but those are missing as well that we've never recovered. And the church doesn't seem to release these things until, they get caught having it, but in these two instances, it's ambiguous enough that they probably will stay missing forever. Right. And just to be clear here, that uh, Joseph Knight Sr. recollection or history, that's a separate document. Uh, when we're talking about letter book one, mm-hmm. which is the one that had the um, 1832 account of the first vision, mm-hmm. which was the first, I think, three pages or so that got cut out with a um, pen knife and put in Joseph Fielding Smith's safe until it in the 1960s, it came to the public attention, thanks to the Tanners, that yeah. he had it, this very strange account of the first vision, so he had it taped back in. So that's how we were able to recover it and find out what it really said. If you take that same letter book, which was very common, to flip it over and turn it in for end, because it's just lined, it's just blank. It would be like a journal you might buy at a store, except that it depends. The, the top depends on how you have it arranged. In other words, you can put the book here. I'll try and bring my hands up here and have it open here, or you can flip it over, turn it in for end. Let me go ahead and bring this up. This is Joseph in the gap. And we got another one. We did wonderful author, Taylor Drake. Yeah. But we know that with a book, this is the cover, right? Because that's the way it's printed. But if there's no cover like this and the pages are just lined, then you can take it like this. This could be the top or you could flip it over, right? I guess you don't have to turn it in for end when you flip it over that way. And then this could be your top, right? Yeah. 
So what happened in this was that letter book one has the first three pages missing or did until they were taped back in in 1965 or so. But on the other side of it like this, it had at some point been turned over and then this made to be the new beginning for another project. And all we know of that is that the first eight leaves are missing. Yeah. Something was on them. Yeah. And we know that something was on them because when they were torn out or removed, it wasn't a completely clean job. So they left little bits of the stubs in the margins and the stubs. You can see that there's writing on them. It wasn't blank paper just torn out to be used to start a fire. Right. Or for a paper airplane flight or fight. Like me and my brothers used to use paper for paper airplane fight. Yeah. Because they Uh, might catch on fire and go hurling to the ground and have to land outside Delta, Utah. Yeah. You mentioned Joseph in the Gap. Also, uh, a lot of people are mentioning the Mormon Minecraft episode, which we didn't put Mm. a a, a screenshot of up either. But that was a really popular episode with people uh, in terms of when people noted what their favorite episode was. That was one of them. Oh, Um, that's wonderful. I haven't gone back and listened to that. I, I think that was one that I came up with. Was that mine? It was yours, Mormon Minecraft. Oh my gosh, this is terrible. Yeah. I don't even remember what it was about. Me, me either, but we'll have to at some point when I'm 80 years old in my rocker, I'll uh, I'll listen to all these again. Yeah, you hear about uh, TV stars, or at least I used to hear about them. You know, they're on these really popular shows. They're on every week, right? And I'm not likening me to that. Maybe you, but not me. And uh, But it was always shocking to me when they would say, yeah, I never watched the show when it airs. And I would think, good grief, you got to be kidding me. You're in the show. It's so popular and you work so hard and you don't watch it when it airs. And they go, nah, I don't. And now I find that I don't go back and watch shows of us uh, after they air, but unless I have to. Yeah. And we so don't, I was we really don't, glad that I did. We don't. I mean, we lived it, right? Yeah, exactly. I don't have to watch the movie, Daddy. Yeah. I lived it. I lived it. <laughs> What's Which is the last line of, a? I think it's Casablanca. Oh, Casablanca. There you go. I, I don't have to watch the movie, Daddy. I lived it. Which, which I haven't seen. All right. So we've got some callers. You ready to take a few phone calls? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Please get me out of this. Okay. So the first caller is Mike. I'm hoping this will all work. So we're going to try this. Mike, are you there? I am. Perfect. Did you hear that RFM? Yes. Okay. Did you hear RFM say yeah, yes, Mike? Okay. Perfect. Are you kidding me? It's a miracle. It's a Festivus miracle. <laughs> There's a Festivus for the rest of Whether us. Whether it's a level three miracle or something, right? Yeah, yeah. You have to have faith not to be healed, though, Mike. What? <laughs> thank, uh, not thank you, Maven. On in. Yeah, please. <laughs> no, thanks for everything I'll do. Uh, and for whatever it's worth, I know the uh, the, the church, uh, what is it, SCMT, the Church Strengthening Membership Community. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, is following you guys. It's the only place, this is literally the only place anywhere online where I post anything that might be construed as anti-Mormon. And uh, I got uh, I got highlighted on, uh, you know, one of my quotes got highlighted back in September on one of your videos. And uh, and I post under my name, and I'm a junior. And my, my dad is a high councilman. And within two days of that episode, they had somehow, and I run on a VPN and everything, so I'm not even you know, displaying where I'm calling from uh, or writing from, but they had gotten my information, knew that I was from my city and uh, which happened to be the same city that my dad lives in. 
And uh, they called up my dad, the high councilman, and asked him why he was making derogatory statements on YouTube videos online. And uh, and so Salt Lake had called him up and tried to figure out what was going on. And he's like, I don't even know. I don't watch YouTube things like this. And they grilled him for a while. And I just thought it was pretty, uh, just one of those, you know, conspiracy. It yeah, it doesn't take long for the SCMC to get involved. Um, we probably ought to give out their phone number again, RFM. Well, maybe and- we should. <laughs> Except Elder Dykes is retired, but maybe they kept the phone number. Yeah, they probably did. Oh my gosh, this is horrible. So if I'm a, by the way, did your dad give you up? Oh no, well I, I don't know. He he said you might want to try my son. He's a junior or something like that. And yeah. uh, I thought it was hilarious. And because uh, we haven't resigned our records yet for whatever reason, we probably should. But uh, anyway, like, you know, I love, you know, us uh, fanboys, I guess. We love seeing our quotes up there, so I'm not going to change anything. I'm doing the right things and hope it gets posted. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I love what y'all do. Just wanted to let you know that the, uh, the church is watching. Perfect. I love it. I love they're They're paying a whole lot of attention to us. I like that. I, yeah, maybe they'll learn something. And they're buying they're buying data from YouTube. They're using tithing dollars to buy data from YouTube, which is, is crazy to me. You know, yeah. they can figure out where we're at and who we are. Well, they certainly yeah. have enough. They anyway, certainly I love have enough. You guys, yeah. y'all take it easy and be safe. Thank you, my friend. Uh, they obviously have a uh, enough money to pay for whatever they want to pay for. You know, isn't there something good on TV on Wednesday evenings they could watch instead? Yeah, you would think. I got to believe there's a few SCMC members who have left because of us. You can't do that job for too long. I will bet you there are there's at least one SCMC member posing as an avid listener and involved in the private, excuse me, involved in the live chat. Yeah, yeah. And I'll leave it to all you others in the live chat to figure out who it is. <laughs> all right. So now we are going to go to Mark. Mark, you are uh on Mormonism Live with RFM and Bill Real, uh, what can we do for you, my friend? What do, what do you thought? What are your thoughts on tonight and the past year? Hey, uh, I think you guys are doing a, a marvelous work and a wonder here. I've been uh, making some comments uh, on on the chat, and uh, I just think uh, you guys are just doing a good work. And um, you know, and I hope you hear this from some of your viewer, viewers. Um, both you guys are really bright folks, and you're taking a great critical, analytical approach to Mormonism. And I've been putting some hints on there, and I, I think one of the things I'm, I've spent decades in the church. I was raised in it, served a mission, was actually a temple worker in the Salt Lake Temple, graduated from the University of Utah. I'm a retired Army major. And so I've lived this stuff. I've been out six years. And I think that one of the things that would be really great is some sort of consolidation, uh, almost like a project of the plausible things that occurred in the early foundation of the church, the root of the tree. You know, Dan Vogel has just done a, a great work. You've got all these great books. Um, the one that I recently was introduced to that in a video that I really dug was the Lucy Code. And I thought that, that some of the things that he brought out were fantastic. Um, I just thought, and I'm a talker, <laughs> um, I think the key here is to boil it down, you know, make a crib note of, hey, this is kind of what we think happened here. You know, you've got, for instance, Dan Vogel suggesting that the plates were tin. The Lucy Code guy, his theory is that 
the Book of Mormon was um, Lucy, Joseph Smith Sr., and Hiram writing and then giving Joseph those writings, and he would read them yeah. and use the whole stone as a ruse. Yeah. So, you know, at the end of the day here, for a lot of us that, that and, and I know, Bill, you were you know, obviously a bishop, and the, for all of us that have gone through a faith crisis and are, are trying, to, trying to resolve this, what would be so helpful is some sort of just picture that says, hey, you were in this car. This is what the car was, you know? And, and, and I think with everything that's out there, we still kind of, we don't know completely. I, I don't, you know? I, I, I think there's a lot of things out there that say, hey, this is what's going on. Um, but, you know, it, it's hard to say. So that, that's just my two cents for you guys. I think you guys are kind of leading the forefront here, and it would be really cool to see something where, we look at the, what's the plausible story. Yeah. What what do we think based upon all the the information that we have out there? Um, yeah. So that's just kind of my two cents. I think you guys are doing a great job. I, I did watch uh, RFM. I did watch the uh, the Quaku debate a little bit. I I, I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't hang. <laughs> a little goes I a long way. Guys, yeah. I just. I just thought the guys in the vests were, I don't know. I, I just, they had no credibility in my book. Yeah. And, and I think that's one of the other comments I made on here is I think that, um, you know, we, it's easy to get in the weeds with these guys and go down rabbit holes. Yeah. And, totally. you know, that's something that's helpful to anybody. Appreciate it, Mark. Yeah. And thank you for your yeah. service. Oh, you're welcome. Yep. Thank you. Perfect. Um, he hit on something which you've covered before, this idea that the the rock was just a ruse and the reality is he's actually reading something inside the hat. Uh, you did an episode on Radio Free Mormon where you talked about your time growing up uh, invested in being a magician and doing magic tricks and how that uh, that practice, that experience in your life helped you. Uh, figure out that maybe the hat and what was in it was the real secret and the rock was just a distraction. Yes, that is true. It is true. And when Mark mentioned something about this, the kind of car you're in, I thought that there was a 1980s commercial that sort of talked about it and said, this is your brain and this is your brain on Mormonism. Do you remember that commercial? Uh, no. You're, uh, this There was the there was the there your brain on drugs when the egg was fried, right? Is that it? Yes, okay. yes. Yeah, you yeah. found me out again. Look at that. They, I remember seeing that video in high school about drugs and how bad they were. And then they would hand out these pamphlets and tell us about how LSD and marijuana would make our sperm count low and make lots of, you know, down. there'd be lots of downside from doing those kinds of things. And I think the science has kind of corrected a lot of that. It doesn't seem to have affected you adversely, Bill. Uh, I did a lot of drugs as a teenager, and uh, it hasn't affected me too adversely. Yes. Well, yeah. good. And I'm glad you've recovered from that. And you also have done, and I think this is important to mention again, you have also repeatedly said how positive the influence of Mormonism was in your life to get you off of that and stop doing that and get you on the straight and narrow and that you attribute a lot of your, your success. I mean, you might be in prison now, if not for Mormonism. 
Yeah, I would want to I want to do an episode at some point because the church taught me certain things about my family, what I was leaving. And now that I'm outside the church, my views have changed a little bit in the last year. Um, I'll tell you this much. my In my family, my family are all non-members. Uh, when I went to back to Ohio about a month ago, two months ago, and we had a party on my side of the family, the female voices were just as strong as the male voices. Like there wasn't patriarchy in my, my side of the family, my, my father and his siblings. Uh, the in-laws versus the actual uh, siblings – there wasn't any difference. There was balance there, fairness there. Everybody was loved as family and there wasn't like you married in and you, you know, you're the, you're the actual sibling in the family. There wasn't those distinctions and you could disagree in those conversations and nobody, like you were like, there was adamant disagreement and, but there was no real arguing. And when it got to the end, everybody said like, Hey, let's all get together again and let's hash out these same things. Um, in some ways, my family actually is a lot healthier than I gave them credit for while being in Mormonism and being taught that they were less than, if that makes that's, any sense. Yeah, that's very, very uh, insightful and important observation yeah. that you make there. By the way, Bill, uh, before we go to the next call, if there's going to be a next call, uh, I think maybe Maven has something she wanted to share. Yeah, Maven, if you want to come on the screen here, um, we need to ask you what your favorite episodes were, too. Um I don't know. Maybe she might be doing. A, she might be doing a screening at the moment. Let me try this. Let's see. Try this. Let's see it happen. Oh, no, that's Whoa. not going to work. Maven's so, voice changed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sounded a lot like mine. The guy did. Yeah. Uh, let's. Is that better? Yeah, yeah. Maven, you had something you wanted to share. Okay, so I can't actually hear you guys anymore. Um, but if you can give me a thumbs up, then I'll keep going. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so. I had a hard time picking just three episodes, um, but I did pick three things that you guys do that really mm-hmm. helped me out a lot. And so I um, I think the first that really helped in my deconstruction is, is seeing how dishonest a lot of the leaders are. I did at least think that they were maybe innocent at the beginning. Um, and then also picking through a lot of the uh, church history uh, that was the basis of my testimony. That was a bit of a struggle. And so seeing it uh, explained and the truth behind it also helped in the deconstruction and just seeing the um, apologetics and just how, how twisted they were. What I really appreciate about both of you is how dedicated you are to the truth. And that includes allowing the other side to represent themselves as best as possible. I've noticed the apologist shows will say what you've said. They very rarely will pull up articles or pull up your podcasts to let you, the words come out of your own mouth. And so I've just really appreciated that. And that's all mm. I'll have to say. Love it. Thank you very much. I know you can't hear me, but thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Love it. Maven is a huge addition to the show. So we'll take a couple more calls and we'll end the night. Uh, Nicola, I'll bring you on. Nicola has called a few yeah. times. Uh, you're on Mormonism live with radio yeah. free Mormon and bill real. What's on your mind tonight? Well, thank you so much for everything that you do. Made a huge, a huge help. In my, 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 I have a question for you. Things, these cheap, are you still there? Yep, we're here. Can you still hear me? Yeah. Okay, because I can't hear you. I'll, I'll guess you're not talking. Since one of the um, commandments says, Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor, I think that they basically, considering they're meant to be like 
church mentors and stuff, they don't abide by even the commandments about what they're meant to be doing. And um, I think that's a, a big thing. And the other thing was I did ask you if you wanted me. I actually grew up in Welling Ward. So I was going to tell you a Welling Ward story, if, if you'd like. Uh, how long do you think it'll take? I, I'd love to hear it, Nicola. Not the, the only downside. Not that long. The only downside is if I if I get a long story from you, then I have to hang up on the other callers that are behind you. So. Okay. Well, it, um, I'll try and make it. Please, really, really please, fun. yeah, and I want to hear it. But it really goes um, all right. It goes on with basically with Peter. There was a a, a member of my ward that basically lost his job, so he went to have some help. And when he went to have some help from the bishop, the bishop told him that he had to give up, um, had to give up his life insurance and he had to go work down on the farm. So within the week, he'd lost his job and then he went and worked on the farm and he dropped dead from a heart attack on the farm. Mm. So within the week, he'd lost his life, his wife had lost, they'd lost their job, they'd lost their life insurance and he'd lost his life. And, uh, I always thought that it was the bishop. Now I realize it was the handbook and that these people are throwing all these stones and basically they're not picking any of the rivers. And Welling was a really good wall. The people really cared in Welling. Everything Peter says is right. I've got loads of really good stories that happened in Welling. These are people that really went out of their way to do huge amounts of stuff. They went every single day and did exercises on some handicapped baby that was born so that it, that it would have all its um, basically walking exercises and they took it in times and they had to go drive miles because our ward boundaries covered like loads and loads of loads and loads of towns. So, I mm. mean, they mm. really had to drive, I mean, basically all over the place. But like you being all over the valley from your places because it covered a really big area. Yeah. Nicola, can you hear me? Yes. Hi. This is Radio Free Mormon. Hi. 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 I can it's, hear you. Well, great. We've finally gotten the technology so that people can hear me. It's a mixed blessing. What time is it where you are? I'm not in England. I'm in America. I'm probably the, one of the only people that has. Uh, I was born. I left. I married. I married one of my district leaders from America. And I grew up in, grew up in, and I actually was in Welling, as I was leaving Welling as Peter Beakley was coming into Welling, because my family was still there. So when I went back and visited them, so I basically, but I was grown up to tell the truth. I was grown up to, to keep the commandments and do all this stuff. And it's just so, it was like so hard. And I did not leave because I didn't leave the church. It was the apologists that upset me because I knew that they were talking to me and what they were talking to me was complete rubbish. Yeah. So uh, I'm really proud of all the brick, brick, uh, uh, um, brick ventures. And I'm really glad that they're doing everything. And when they excommunicated Peter, they made me so mad that I decided that I just couldn't keep my mouth shut any longer. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can understand that story, my friend. Appreciate the phone call, Nicola, and I appreciate you calling in. Uh, Nicola, can all... I ask you, I'm sorry, can yeah, I ask you no, one more question? Mm-hmm. Nicola, when you say yes. this, this, the bishop had this man work on the farm, is that the, um, the welfare farm? Yes. At that particular time, this was like, I was, must've been a young, young, 
young woman. They had a we were in Wandsworth Stake at that time. So basically there was a there was a farm, I think it was out in Biggin Hill. I didn't go out there much, but he made him go work on the farm and that's when he had his heart attack. But I don't know that Romford and some of the other stakes even have farms, but I think Wandsworth um because Alpington Ward was we had we were aligned with Catford um Alpington and they were the wards that were when I was growing up, and then halfway through the young women, when we Welling Ward was Dartford branch, it never was Welling branch. As soon as it became Welling, it became a ward, and we did have a chapel, but we shared a chapel with somebody, and it was really stupid because it was a different mission. It was in a different mission, and it was in so the missionaries had to break the flipping rules to go to church because. We were meeting in the same ward as Catford, and the same minute time as they gave us the stupid chapel with Catford, which they was black at Blackheath, they basically made it so it was um, basically they were breaking mission rules to go to our ward, and also because our ward boundaries were so far, people had to travel even further because it wasn't our boundaries are ba- uh, big enough as it was. But they decided to put us in that. And then they decided to split the stakes. And we went into Romford at that time. And I hear we're back in May. We're in Maidstone now from what Peter says. But right. basically, um, we we became part of Romford. So we became the other part when we when we split up. That happened during my youth. And Right. I, Nicola, I was just trying to um, clarify for the audience. I, I thought it was probably a church welfare farm that you were talking about. I just wanted to be clear on that. Because yes, it was a church welfare farm. Yeah. Yeah. It was a church welfare farm. It was, yeah. it was, but not every church over there has a welfare farm, but yeah. for some reason they had a farm when we were in Wandsworth Stake and over in Alpington. Um, mm-hmm. Alpington's like near Charles Darwin's house, actually, because it's in Biggin Hills, right? You go, if you're going to go to Charles Darwin's house, it's right near there. I thought that was in Shrewsbury. next, Pardon? Is that in Shrewsbury? No, it's not. It, 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 it's in Kent. It's on the oh. outskirts. And um, Romford is in Essex. And at one point, we got put into Essex Stake, stake which covered all the way down to South End, the stake did. So all that part of Essex, Grays, Basildon. Um, I think it always, also went all the way out to Harlow, too. So that it covered, you had to go, you had to travel to go to your states quite far, but even going to your walls, like some people had as many as eight people on the visiting teaching list and they did it in Welling. And that meant that my mom would go out like some whole days to go visiting teaching because she'd go visit all these people that she had on the visit. And that like some of them, they were like really dedicated people. Yeah. I appreciate the phone call, Nicola. I want to try to get these last three in, so I'm gonna I'm gonna hang up with you. But I really appreciate okay. uh, you calling That's in fine. over the course of this year and us getting and to I know. I really you. appreciate you too. I appreciate you because I'm dyslexic, so this has made it really easy for me. Thank you. Appreciate it very much. Have a great, great uh, Christmas. You too. Okay. Bye bye. Both of you. Yep. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye bye. All right. I know we're going really late tonight. I'm going to try to take three more calls because they're in the queue and they've been waiting, but I'm going to tell them that they've got like a minute each and they just got to squeeze it in as fast as they can. Okay. Okay. And I just put right. up a, a little, I told you so link. All and, right. Uh, and I'm going to chat for Maven. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. I'm going to put, uh, 
All right. So Sam, you're on Mormonism Live. You've got one minute to to share what you need to share. And uh, we we are glad you joined the show. We're excited to hear from you. But we just ask you be concise and quick. Please, Sam. Bill and RSM, let me say that, first of all, I love you guys. My favorite episode was when you stood up for a friend of mine, a friend of ours. Thank you very much for doing that. And finally, you touched. Now, I don't know if anybody else noticed this, but you gave a hint to a future podcast episode that I'm really looking forward to and wanted to ask you when you thought that might come out. Uh, I don't know what okay, we're... Okay, you don't know what the hint was? I don't. Here, here, Wait a second. Is this Sam Young? It's when... <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so here's the podcast episode that you hinted at that has really piqued my curiosity. What do you get when you mate two ex-Mormon males? Well, you gave the example that if you met mated me and Randy, you get RFM. Yeah. So I'm curious, what other 2X Mormon males are you going to uh, expand on? It's going to be such an interesting episode. Okay, I'll have to do it. We'll cover okay. it. Sam, before you leave, I want to ask you a question. Okay, what do you get when you cross an agnostic, a dyslexic, and an insomniac? Hearing no response, I'll answer for you. What you, what you get when you cross yeah. an agnostic, a dyslexic, and an insomniac is a guy who can't get to sleep at night wondering if there really is a dog. <laughs> All right. Ah. <laughs> okay. Thank okay. you, Sam. Hey, great job, guys. Take okay. it easy. Bye. Thanks. All right. Now we're going to go to Mary really quick. Mary, you are on Mormonism Live with Bill Real and Radio Free Mormon. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to ask if you can try to do it in a minute or less, and I would love to know what you thought of the, the past year. Oh, the past year has just been great. Hey, um, hi, guys. I love you both. Um, especially love uh, RFM because he's in my old stomping ground. Yeah. In, uh, in you don't have to explain yourself on that. Um, yeah. I'm What's your old stomping else, grounds, so Kent? Have- Yelm. Yeah. Austin? Yeah, near Olympia. Uh, where? Yelm, Y-E-L-M. Yelm. Okay. Yep. That's Look it. Is that in Oregon? Um, no, it's in Washington. Are you in Oregon? Yes. <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> Bill, come on. You know who's watching. <laughs> That's, that, that, that's the wrong state. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. The first time I heard heard about Denver Snuffer, the only thing I could think was the Denver Snuffer, best serial killer name ever. <laughs> the Denver Snuffer. <laughs> hey guys, I got a theory about polygamy. Okay. Um, you, you know that Utah is the the only state that um that uh where polygamy is not a felony; it's only a misdemeanor. So it's kind of like you know a, a a traffic ticket. Yeah. And so since it's never gotten rid of DNC one thirty two. Uh, my theory is that one of the reasons what they'll never give women the priesthood. Is because 
they're already implementing polygamy again. Just my thought. That that the churches that out a little bit for us. The church is implementing polygamy. Yes. Okay, you think that's happening? I I actually think the opposite, Mary. Which is, I think that they'll stay away from it at all costs. I think they'll never touch it again. Well, are you talking about in the temple eternal polygamy? Well, so so why don't they get rid of one thirty two? Um, it is stuck I, in there with crazy glue. It's too connected to all the other early theology, uh, including the temple endowment, including eternal families. Yeah, but it just came from uh, from uh, Brigham Young, one yeah. of the worst people in history. Yeah, I, I don't know. You know, anyway, I don't, that's yeah. Fully aware, fully aware, but I, I, I do appreciate. Like, I, I don't mind the disagreement. I, I would be surprised though if it came back. But I'll, we'll see. One of us is going to be a prophet. Yes. Let us know. Okay. Sounds good. Because it won't be me. No, well, I'm, I'm a girl. Yeah. So that that's Love what you guys. happens. Bye-bye. Ha- have a great day. <laughs> Thank you so much for calling in. No, there's historical precedent for removing sections out of the doctrine and covenants, including the entire doctrine. Out of the Doctrine and Covenants, they removed that. That was the Lectures on Faith. That got removed, I think, in 1920 or 1921. But, yeah, so it could happen. It could happen. I just don't know that it's going to because I think the church feels that it has effectively recast what Section 132 is talking about, which is plural marriage. And if they only limit it to the first, like, 20-some-odd verses and don't talk about the rest, then they've recast it in terms of eternal marriage. Not polygamy, which is what it was originally. Celestial marriage was polygamy. But now they're just talking about like temple marriage, eternal marriage between one man and one woman. And I feel like they think that they have dealt with the problem by reinterpreting what it originally said. So they don't feel like they have to take it out. Now, it's interesting, though. It is interesting, though, and somewhat ironic. I'm sorry. What time is it, Bill? It's interesting. It's somewhat ironic that the church did take out Section 101 from the original 1835 Doctrine and Covenants, and that's the one that said that the church does not practice polygamy. In fact, we only believe in having one man married to one woman. That one they did take out. Section 132 got put in probably in 1876 or so, but they could take it out if they wanted to. The only question is whether they would renumber the sections after 132 or just leave it blank like the 13th floor of a hospital. Yeah. Uh, we'll get to the last caller. I did want to at least say my favorite episodes, um, number three, uh, Peak Stones, Sheep's Bones, and Gold Thrones, all on Miner's Hill. Number two was number uh, episode 42, Revelation, Excommunications, Lies, and Obfuscations, the 1886 John Taylor Divination. I think there's a pattern here because the first two were yours. Yeah. And then number one is episode number 33, President Nelson's Flight of Death. I thought that was my favorite. And I'll be honest, I will fight. And uh, and I will go and I won't go down, but unless I'm screaming and yelling, uh, that that wins a Brody this coming year. Although I know you oh. felt less about it, um, I think it is the monumental episode in Mormon podcasts this year. Well, thank you, yeah. thank you. You're I like that. that. I like the sentiment because that third one was uh, my idea, but the first two were yours and well deserved. You will go down kicking and screaming with an exploded right engine. Explode, yeah, on fire from uh, fuel all over. On your uh, Nav- Navajo. Yeah, and I'll land in a field somewhere. Uh, near Delta, I believe. 
<laughs> Our last call for the night, uh, Mark, you are on the air Mormonism live with Bill and uh, RFM. Uh, take us home, my friend. What's your thoughts? Is this, can you guys hear me? This we, is Mark. We hear you great, Mark. Hi, Mark. Us, can uh, you hear me? What you think? Dude. Okay. So I'll be honest. I, I love you guys. Um, these last 20 minutes were, was I was sitting in a, in a parking lot here in, in Hiram, Utah. And um, I'm <laughs> in a Ridley's parking lot and listening. And you guys are so nice to everybody. Uh, it was a little interesting conversations. But long story short, I'm from Provo, Utah. Um, I raised Mormon, uh, served a mission in New York City. Um, and uh, I've just listened to you guys for a long time. I love, I've been listening to rfm for gosh about a year now man you cracked me up dude my mom's a lawyer and you guys you guys are so similar it's so funny um and he's just so bright um my favorite episode honestly was just that that oh that exchange with kwaku and those bros they're still provo like i'm from there and i'm like oh my gosh that's my high school man (laughs) (laughs) and just so funny and i i know those arguments like i grew up with very wealthy kids and i know how they think and this is the hard part that i find with with growing up in those environments is i was so blessed with like so many good things in my life it's so hard to like you know walk away from that but at the same time you just you know you guys have been so helpful to like help me grow my my mind and my beliefs um, but I, I just like, I can see right through their arguments and I see them and I, and I, I just, I, 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 I can just see it so well. And, and you guys have done such a great job of, of helping me and, and giving me peace. So you guys are awesome. Thank um, you, my thanks friend. A lot. Thank you. Have a great Thank Christmas. You. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. I suppose yeah. if this were the book, the outsiders, Quaku and his friends would fit more into the socias rather than the greasers. I, I'll tell you, it reminded me of another episode we didn't mention, which was the straw man versus steel man uh, episode. And another and one where I think, we did, I think we did a beautiful job of helping uh, our viewers understand what straw men are and what it was around the idea that uh, spiritual experiences are had by all people across the globe. And uh, I thought that was a big one as well. Um, anything else from you before we close out the show? Um, I just had uh, uh, Maven had something she wanted to put up on the screen. This was the I told you so. Yeah, image she uh, that I sent to her. Explore Charles Darwin's hometown of Shrewsbury. Yes, pronounced Shrewsbury by the way. Shrewsbury. Like sometimes RFM, you. I mean, I shouldn't say sometimes. I mean, it's almost kind of freaky. It's, it's got a statue sitting on the chair. Almost on a weekly basis, you share some fact or data point, and I am amazed that you have so much information stored in your head. Yes, yeah, so much useless. Information. Did I tell yeah, you I that like I, most of it's Mormonism? Well, right. Did I tell you that I, <laughs> I, play, I play cards at lunch with a, a friend who's an attorney? I don't know if I've shared this story before, but I will tell you that um, I, I'll spout off with something or some quote from Shakespeare or whatever. He's much more of a, a popular mechanics kind of guy. And more than once, he's looked at me incredulously and said, I said, do you ever do you ever get tired of filling your mind with useless information is what he says to me. And I look at it and I say, well, when you think about it, all information is kind of useless in the long run. It is in the long run, huh? And he says, you are such a nihilist. And I said, no, I'm a narcissistic nihilist. In fact, <laughs> I'm thinking of changing my podcast name, Radio Free Mormon, the narcissistic nihilist. 
Yeah, you should. That's kind of catchy. Thank you. Um, I kind of like it. It's got alliteration. <laughs> yeah. I could give a general conference talk about it. There you go. You're not as narcissistic as some of the people we covered in the past year. I may be number two, but I try harder. Yeah, you'll try try harder. It's going to be a fun year coming up, folks. I hope you tune in uh, to Mormonism Live over the next 52 episodes or 51 after this one and uh, see what else we're going to unravel, deconstruct, explore, and uh, expose. It's going to be a lot of fun. And don't forget, RFM. Don't forget. Doubt your doubts. So doubt your doubts. That's good. You want to doubt your doubts, right? Doubt your doubts. Is a good thing. Yes. But then doubting the doubts of your doubts, that's bad. But if you doubt the doubting of doubting your doubts, that's good again. Yes. So don't forget, it was never about doubting your doubts in the first place. Yes. It was all all about the fact that doubting your doubts in Mormonism is what's necessary to overcome uh, critical thinking and to deconstruct this thing and to take your life back. To all the folks listening and uh, watching Mormonism Live, we do this because it's fun in a large part, but it is an absolute joy to help people uh, gain their autonomy back and know they're not crazy and be able to safely and happily get out of this thing to some degree. And I know you feel differently than me, but to get out of this thing and to uh, maintain their sanity as they do so. Yeah. And I will tell you if you played the rest of that clip, because I think it's important to keep Elder Uchtdorf in context. The rest of the clip is doubt your doubts, but never doubt Mormonism live.